Hello and welcome to the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. It is finally May! That's right, my name is Rob Peters and I am coming at you live, well somewhat live, pseudo live. It's a podcast so it's not really live but I like to treat it like a radio show. Anyway, I'm coming at you from Indianapolis where uh, for the next month all of the attention in the racing world is pretty much going to be focused on my hometown, which is always the fun time uh all eyes are on basically my backyard and joining me from charlotte which will shortly be the center of the attention of the nascar world is josh roller and we make up the two halves of the rob and roller podcast uh so let's go ahead and start and saying we have a lot to talk about this week let me tell you that there was a lot going on uh, it was a packed weekend of racing all over the world. I mean, we had Formula One, we had NASCAR, we had two IndyCar races. Holy cow, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, we, we used to get a lot of doubleheaders. I don't think we all have another doubleheader again until about Detroit. Uh, so until next month, will we have another doubleheader uh, in the IndyCar series. And maybe, depending on the outcome of Toronto, we might have uh, some more doubleheaders coming at you. But we'll see about that. Nothing's been... Uh, officially announced on that front yet. So yeah, let's uh, go ahead here and uh, jump into the news today because we've got a lot to talk about. Um, But uh, I want to go ahead here and start the show first and foremost with uh, a bit of some unfortunate news. Uh, And and this is going to be a little bit difficult for for me to to talk about, but it's important. And um, we just we just need to to go through it because we need to take a, a moment and remember the reality of life and uh, what what we all go through at some point in our lives is very unfortunate. But I don't know. Uh, anyway, so we have sadly lost two members of our racing family over the weekend. Uh, on Sunday afternoon, it was announced that uh, Eric McClure, former NASCAR Xfinity Series driver and nephew of Larry McClure, who was co-owner of Morgan McClure Motorsports team in the NASCAR Winston Cup and Nextel Cup series for a long time. Uh, he passed away. He died at the age of 42. Uh, uh, apparently, I guess, be- sometime between Saturday night and Sunday morning. Um, no details were released, uh, so we're not going to speculate on anything, but we just want to wish uh, all of our thoughts and prayers out to the McClure family. He leaves behind... A fiance and seven daughters. Uh, seven daughters. That's that are all all names all start with M. By the way, I don't know if anyone ever caught that. I don't. I'm not. I'm not making fun of the guy. I'm literally just commending him on the absolute uh, commitment to naming your children with with starting with the letter M. I love that. Uh, always, always applaud people who could commit to that because I could never do it. Um, but anyway, uh, just very sad to hear about that. It, it, the news shocked me. I mean, Eric McClure has always been um, someone who has been talked about very highly uh, by a lot of racing uh, personnel in the racing family. Um, you know, unfortunately, he he had a bit of a run-in uh, with the law over the past year or two, but it seemed like he was getting things back together. It looked like he was working on himself, but, you know, we did have health issues. Um, I think he was being treated for kidney failure. At least this was reported about last year, I think. Um, no real updates on that since then. And like I said, no cause of death has been announced, so we're not going to speculate. But just just the sad and unfortunate situation all around. 42 years old. It's really young to go. Um, it's really, really rough. Um, 
But let's just uh, stop and remember the good times and remember the good memories of, uh, of Eric McClure because I know that there's a lot of people out there in the racing community that, that have good memories of him. Um, and then uh, I want to move on here. And, and this is probably the hardest news for me to announce on this show. Um, and I know we're starting it off on a somber note, and I apologize for that. But this this stuff needs to get – you got to get through this stuff. And, you know, as a broadcaster and as, as a podcaster and as a reporter and everything, this is the stuff that you got to do no matter how much you might hate it. Um, but it was announced uh, this morning on Monday morning that three-time Indianapolis 500 winner Bobby Unser has also died at the age of 87. And Bobby Unser is is a legend in his own right. Uh, there's there's nobody out there that I can think of right now that will have a last as lasting of an impact on auto racing as I think Bobby Unser did. Um, I never was alive to see him race, but I was alive to see his impact on on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, on the Indianapolis 500, on on the city, the state, uh, every everything, you know. And I had the wonderful opportunity to talk with him back in about 2016 or 17. And I'll just never forget that because, and I want to tell this story here because I want to remember Bobby. I always called him Uncle Bobby, even though he wasn't my uncle. And I'd only talked to him for a short time, but the short time I talked to him, he sure as hell felt like an uncle. Um, it sure as hell felt like I was talking to an uncle on the phone. It seemed like I was talking to somebody I'd known my entire life. Uh, and I remember I, I emailed him because I was working on a story. It's an award-losing article. It's an award-losing paper, I promise you. I did not win the award. Uh, it's unfortunate. I should have won the award, I, but, you know. With stuff happens, board, politics, what have you. I don't know. I was told it was politics, but whatever. Um, point is, I just emailed Bobby Unser one day, out of the blue, out of the blue. I just emailed him. I sh- shot him an email. I didn't even think he would he would answer it. I honestly thought, you know, I figured Bobby Bobby Unser was, you know, he was you know, he's, he passed away at age eighty seven. This was like four years ago, so he's in his mid eighties, right? Uh, and and I'm so I'm sitting here thinking, you know, he's probably not going to answer his email right away or if at all. Um, and sure enough, by the next morning I wake up and, uh, I, I have an email in my inbox from Bobby Unser and, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's an all bold font times new Roman, all caps at about, Oh, 19 point font. And I read it in his voice. It said, well, Rob, yeah, I think we could get this thing done. Give me a call at this number around this time. And, uh, I'll have a chat with you. And that was it. That was the rest of his history. I gave him a call. I cold called him. And we had, we had to have talked for about two hours. And I was, I was really only asking him maybe a couple of questions. I didn't want to keep him long. I really, truthfully, honestly, I didn't want to keep him long. I didn't know how busy he was or what he was doing. And I guess he wasn't that busy or whatever. But he was just sitting at home in, in Albuquerque. And, uh, and I guess he... He had a great time talking to me because he, when he answered the phone, he said, "Hey, Rob, how you doing?" Best Bobby Unser impression. I can't do a very good one, but he answered the phone like I was his long lost nephew or something. I mean, it was it was truthfully a wonderful ex- experience, um, and one of the best moments probably of my young journalistic career is is being able to have a conversation with Bobby Unser. And then you know the best part about him too was he he would 
he would come up into the media center, man, every every May. And he would come up into the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Media Center. Robin Miller would be with him. Steve Shunk would be with him. Shunk, excuse me, would be with him. And, uh, of course, because, of course, they were. They've, they've, got, they've made outstanding, um, heart-wrenching uh, articles on Bobby Unser today. If you haven't read them, I recommend you. But he would just sit right there, and you could walk right on up to him and ask him anything you wanted, and he'd talk to you for as long as you wanted him to talk to you. I mean, he was the ni- he was the nicest person I've probably ever met in racing. I've met a lot of nice people in racing. I've met a lot of very kind-hearted people. I've met Brendan Gaughan, and that man is a pillow pet, and he will talk to you about anything you want. Brendan Gaughan will shoot the breeze with you. He doesn't care. He'll he'll have to be at driver intros in five minutes, and he'll just sit down and take selfies with you and ask you how your day's going. That's how Brendan Gaughan would be, and I bet you that's how Bobby Unser would be too, uh, back in the day at least, uh, because there was just nobody more friendly than Bobby Unser, and he would go around and, like I said, even if you didn't know him, he didn't know you, greet you like you, he he knew you. Um, and, and I think that's what's really special about him. And uh, the racing world lost one of the best, one of the best, one of the brightest, one of the kindest. Uh, there's there's not enough words that I can use to describe Bobby Unser and how I feel about him. So today has just obviously been a tough day for me. Um, I have been very candid about, you know, Depression has been kicking my butt lately, and you know this didn't make it any easier. But having this opportunity to come on here and and share my stories about Uncle Bobby is is really important um, because that that whole interaction with him meant the world to me, and I just I wanted to share that because when he called me and we talked, it was probably the first time, and I had covered the race for two years up until this point but it was honestly probably the first time that I actually felt like someone took me as a legitimate journalist and not just some kid who got lucky um and that's how I've always felt maybe I have a little bit of imposter syndrome I don't know that's for another that's a topic for another day but I'll never forget that feeling and I just appreciate everything he's done so Bobby Unser you will be missed you will absolutely be missed by me and I'm sure by race fans all over the world. Thank you for your contributions to the racing world. Thank you for your contributions to just life in itself. Uh, this is all off the cuff here right now. I'm, I'm struggling for words because this is really hard for me. But I just want to say thank you to Bobby Unser. So Bobby Unser passed away at the age of 87. Eric McClure passes away at the age of 42. Our thoughts and prayers are with their families and friends right now. And um, we wish that the healing would would commence as soon as possible. And um, with that said, I think, you know, the show must go on here. And our show as well must go on. So, you know, as we take moments to remember Eric and Bobby today, I think, you know, we should just continue on here with the show and, and try and have a good time like they would want us to and uh, report and talk about the sport that they love just as much as we love it. Um, so let's start off here. Rob's Racing Report on this episode of the Racing with Robin Roller podcast, season three, episode 12 or episode 13. I think this is if I'm correct. I don't know. Um, start off with Formula One here. We have some news relating to the calendar. The Canadian Grand Prix has been canceled for the 2021 F1 season. 
and it has been replaced by the Turkish Grand Prix at Istanbul Park. Once again, going back to the Turkey, which is great for because that's a great racetrack. Um, Josh yeah. and I were just talk, excuse me, here talking about it before the show. Uh, just how much we like that track. It's great, yeah. classic track. Uh, right. Good to see it back. But uh, you know, and it's not the worst thing in the world. Canadian Grand Prix getting canceled because uh, they have renewed their uh, contract for the next, I think, three years, um, three or four years, maybe even five. I can't remember. It's. It, I, I know that they renewed their contract. I just didn't write it down. They here. got a two-year extension. I'm not sure when. It's kind of questionable how not to butt in, not to butt in, but it's kind of questionable. Like, are these two years that they've missed rolling over? At the contract, it's possible. It's yeah. possible that wouldn't be a bad thing because I mean I think they still have two years on the schedule, and it wasn't their fault the race was canceled. I mean, yeah. it's the government's fault. You know, you, you blame the government for stuff like yeah. that. You can't blame the track. So, yeah. um, what do you get to do? I, I think, I think that's fine. But he, heck, even then, two extra years at the Canadian Grand Prix is always good because that's one of the classic, memorable Formula One races. So, Absolutely. never lose that at all. Uh, even if we do get Istanbul Park, which is Always a plus and a treat. Heck, if it rains again, we're in for an even bigger treat. Uh, we'll see. Um, hey, uh, did you see this past weekend at Portugal? We got uh, we, It was reported over the past week, and then we saw it over the past weekend, that Callum Eilat is uh, an Alfa Romeo driver. He's a reserve driver, and he got to run FP1 for Alfa Romeo this past weekend in Portugal. That was really cool. A sad uh, compen- you know, yeah, compensation for not getting the drive. You, I think a lot of us felt he deserved um but hey you know take the test drive take what you can get man show show that you're faster i think he was faster than mazepin in free practice probably wouldn't be that hard because yeah i know the alpha romeo is faster than the haas so it's probably not a fair comparison but could we see uh him take over for one of the two alpha romeo drivers if they don't perform later this year i don't know we'll see geo's not been doing terrible i mean geo's not bad i mean a lot of people count out geo just because yeah. they, they, they compare him to Kimmy, but Kimmy makes more mistakes than Gio does sometimes, I think. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, in terms of Alfa Romeo, if they really want to dump one driver, I think they have to, if they want to dump one driver, I think they have to dump both. I think that's, that's pretty much the way it's going to have to work. Yeah. I, I mean, would they, can't, they can't dump Gio and then keep Kimmy, and then Kimmy makes more mistakes than Gio. I mean, what are you, you going to do? <laughs> you can't, I mean, if you dump Kimmy, then everybody goes up into a into a a fit most of formula one fans go into a a, a haywire fit right yeah, you become yeah. the most hated team on the grid behind haas you know you don't want that to happen yeah, either. take over haas <laughs> yeah um you know it's it's a messy situation but it's just too early to talk about silly season it's 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 only may guys it's only may it's too only early to talk about silly in. season. Only three, races in. three races in it's silly season's too far away um, let's move on to some NASCAR news here. Uh, GMS Racing has announced that Raphael Lassard will no longer drive for the team after a sponsorship fallout. So Raphael Lassard actually posted on Twitter uh, after this news was announced. Basically, uh, he had a sponsorship deal fall through, and he doesn't have enough funding to continue the rest of the season in GMS's cars or trucks. Excuse me. So he's just going to take the rest of the season off and work to fund 2022. And GMS, I guess, will have a ride for him if he's able to put that funding together. So that's, hey, that's a good plus, you know. I mean, you can't fault GMS for that, but you got to wonder. They're still running five full-time, basically almost five full-time trucks. Yeah. And they I, can't I, find... I think 24 will be at Darlington. Um, but if you remember right, this was a, when they announced Rafael Lassar to the 24 truck. 
last year, it was only for 10 races. Yeah. And then it was announced he will drive the full season with new, when new funding was found. And that's whatever has transpired is, is unfortunate for him um, because I think he was getting better. We saw progress in the past out of that 24 truck you uh, have to have more seat time i mean the only way to progress is to have seat time and right. now with no practice of qualifying it's, it's some of these young guys that really need that seat time to progress they need to be out there running full seasons agreed agreed De- definitely uh stinky there did you but did you see who's coming back racing yeah Aaron darnell's coming back yeah he's got a he's coming back he's gonna run uh is it with gms here or is it nice Nice, 45 truck for Nice. Yeah. So he's going to run the 45 truck for Nice. And if you saw the throwback paint scheme, oh boy, Northern Tool is back. It's the same exact truck that he used to drive all the time. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I love that. That makes me so happy to see. I loved those trucks. And, I, and then it's amazing that Eric Darnell just takes a, what, almost 10 year sabbatical from the sport? Right. And then, and what is it? What it? What, there's all these drivers taking these long sabbaticals from NASCAR and then coming back for one-off truck races. You get Bill Lester earlier this year comes had, back out of nowhere, huh? Had James Busher. James Busher is another one who just Trevor Bain last year. Trevor Bain came. Well, was that part of the non-compete clause that he had with Roush? I think I have no idea. Or was he just he just couldn't find a ride? I wasn't sure. I, I um, venture to say it was the latter. And that's what I was gonna say. I, I wasn't sure. I heard I had heard something about a non-compete clause that Trevor Bain had with Roush, but I'm not sure. That um, would think as a driver. Especially when you were let that go. That would be terrible as a driver, yeah. Yeah. That that sucks. The, if that Maybe was the had a terrible level. lawyer who was just like, Yeah, we could put that in the contract. It's not like he's going anywhere after Roush, right? He probably wasn't, let's be honest. We Yeah. <laughs> Not sorry to Trevor Bain fans. I know that there's still a lot of them. Trevor Bain is a very popular driver, especially since 2011. Uh, who wasn't on the Trevor Bain train in 2011? Let's be honest. Who didn't hop on that bandwagon for like at least the first like six or seven races that he ran in 2011? Yeah, most people hopped on that bandwagon. Bandwagon, right? Hopped on that and strapped in. Strapped in, and then I was one. I, I hopped on, and then. When he wrecked out of the Pepsi 400 later that year, or the Coke Zero 400, whatever it was called by that time, when he wrecked out of the Daytona July race, that was when I hopped off the train. I was like, yeah, this kid's a one-hit wonder. I'm out. I'm out. I'm back to watching Casey Kane finish 13th every week. But forever <laughs> he will be a Daytona 500 champion. He will. He will. And he'll ever forever have uh, one of the Wood Brothers. So, yep. you know, hey. He's got that. He's got that to his credit. No one can take that away from him, and that's all. You know, Bobby Labonte almost had one. Bobby, could you imagine if Bobby Labonte had passed him? Could you yeah, imagine if Juan Bobby, Montoya had passed him? Bobby was in the forty-seven that race, right? Yeah, he he was pushing Trevor Bain. Yeah, and Montoya was in the forty-two. Man, you could have had really interesting winners well, come out. Carl Edwards was there too. It was. Yeah. It was. Carl Edwards, David Gill. If I think, if I recall correctly, I think it was Carl Edwards, David Gilliland in the Taco Bell 38 for uh, FRM, and then you had uh, Bain being pushed by uh, Lobani, and then I think it was Kurt Busch, maybe, and Juan Montoya that were working together that were coming up on a. I don't know. I've replayed that finish in so many times, and I'll just remember the it was the, the tall Daryl Waltrip ruined 
this is the top ten of that day twenty five hundred, and then you can get, then you can move on. Trevor Bain, Carl Edwards, David Gillen, Bobby Labonte, Kurt Busch, Juan Pablo Montoya. I was right. I was right. Ian Smith, Kyle Busch, Paul Menard, Mark Martin. Okay, so yeah, it was mainly that top five though. Those were the main cars that I think were in in major contention for the win, and um, I thought Carl Carl had a chance to get it there until. Until the last corner, basically, I I thought like I was like, man, Carl might get this. And, they, and then when Bain uh, slammed the door, uh, coming to the trial, I was like, holy cow, he's gonna do this. Twenty eleven. I th- I'm sorry to get off topic. Twenty eleven was crazy year for racing, man. The craziest stuff happened in twenty eleven. I mean, talk about a little bit of it later. I know. I'm excited for it. Twenty eleven was such. It was like such a crazy year. IndyCar was insane. Uh, Formula One was basically the Vettel show, but it was still fun to watch. Um, and then you had NASCAR doing basically whatever the hell they were. <laughs> Those super speedway races, a four-wide finish at Talladega. David Reagan wins the, the July race at Daytona. Yep. And then teammates Jeff Burton and Clint Boyer betray each other on the last lap at Talladega. <laughs> That year, and it was crazy. The Xfinity series was crazy that year too, or the Nationwide series was called that. Even the Truck series is Eric Darnell going back to that. Holy cow! I'm on a nostalgia trip. I went on a nostalgia trip last night posting about old IRL. Did you see that? I did not see that. It was a 4 a.m. rant. I know. Oh, I didn't see a 4 a.m. I was I was sound asleep. (laughs) NASCAR man posted. uh, the finish of the 2002 IRL race at Texas that Jeff oh, Ward won. Mm. My man Jeff Ward in the number nine target uh, Chevrolet. It was a Chevrolet at the time, and they didn't run Infinity engines. It was a G-Force chassis, though. It was a G-Force chassis beat uh, Alan Sir Jr. to the line with help from Drumler Old, the man. And the myth of legendary. <laughs> no. No one does talk. Yes, hey, that's where I mentioned. That's where I mentioned him. So that was the last time I talked about him. Was last, or we, I've heard his name was last June on this I, podcast. I could drop. I just want to say. I just want to be like. Someday I want to have a, a serve or like a game. Game show or idea. The name. I- <laughs> that would be that. That sounds like a social media idea. <laughs> Old IRL driver or name I beat made up. <laughs> we should probably move on to the next point. Though, okay, Rob. let's move on. Uh, Colleague Racing is coming to Cup. Colleague Racing owners Matt Calling confirmed on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio this week that uh, the move to the NASCAR Cup Series is a done deal for next season, with driver and sponsorship announcements coming at a later date. No idea who that's going to be, but I have a guess. Uh, we all have a guess. I have a guess. I'm excited. For that guess, because I think Colleague is probably going to push this driver to their best, um, and that's going to be good, mm-hmm. um, whoever this driver is. I'm sure people are thinking about two or three different guys right now. Um, I'm thinking about a guy who's currently in Cup, but I don't know who Josh is thinking. 
I've got a, like three or four names like everyone else. Like I think it could be. I think it. I think you you could you could put these names down, cover your eyes, and do a pin thing, and you'd be just as just as accurate as anyone else's guess. What if it's randomly Matt Kenseth? No. What if That's, it's randomly Greg Biffle and they come back to run the sixteen? Not going to be either of those drivers. I can tell you that. Right. I didn't think it would be, but I like I like making it up. Like if it's yeah, if I, they do enter with car number sixteen, like they did this past yeah. week, two weekends ago with Kaz Grala, it should it should yeah they should they should hire Greg Biffle. He's not doing anything, and he still he still can win. We've, we've, yeah. we've seen that he could still win. Yeah, I, I, bring, back I, Greg, I bring back the Biffmeister. It will be someone who is in their stable currently. I know. And or was in their stable a year ago and could potentially be in their fourth car at a later race this year in the Xfinity series. I know. Yeah. I know. What's that All next right. point? <laughs> Austin Hill, a championship contender in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series with Hattori Racing Enterprises, and also a former champion of the truck series in general, confirmed to the media this past week that he will run select Xfinity series races with Hattori Racing Enterprises, but which races is unknown at this time. So they don't know what races they're going to run but they do know that he's going to run some races which is going to be yeah. good 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 for him uh and how about this how about this for a piece of weird news uh we do know the all-star race format which is also going to be held at the atrocious now texas motor speedway i'm sorry eddie gossage i love you you do a great job for everything in racing i have appreciated everything you do eddie gossage if you're listening to this please for the love of all that is good save your racetrack please i want your racetrack to be good again i loved your racetrack as a kid, I still love it now, but it is so hard to love it because turns one and two are garbage, and I will talk about that more later. But seriously, you need to fix this because this convoluted all-star race is not going to help. Um, so <laughs> uh, let's go over what the heck this thing's going to be. Follow me here. Follow me. I'm going to go oh, the guy. This attempt to point follow, by point. Attempt to follow what is about to spew out of Rob's mouth. So the race will feature a total of, and I, I, I kid you not, this is the most ridiculous part about it, I think, is six rounds. Six rounds, as opposed to the normal, like, what, three or four we're used to? Yeah. We're usually, it's 25, 25, 50, or whatever, or less than that, or something, I don't know. Or or something, I think it's been, like, 10 laps at the end, yeah, you're right. Which, eh, 20 laps, it needs to be 20 laps. Um, Okay, but anyway, so six rounds, totaling 100 laps, seems kind of short, but... Okay. Uh, starting lineup for round one will be determined via a random draw. So no qualifying, which is a bummer because what I, I, why can't we go back to the old All-Star qualifying when you had to make one lap, make a pit stop, and then make another lap? That was fun. That was cool. That was interesting. That was unique. I want that again. But anyway, that's not happening. Uh, we're just going to do a random draw a la the Bud Shootout back in the day. It probably won't be televised on Speed with hosted by Kenny Wallace, unfortunately. Um, but what are you going to do? Uh, so, yeah, then rounds one through four will be 15 laps each. And then round five will be 30 laps. And then the final round will feature a 10-lap shootout. So that's the structure of the race. Six rounds, 15 laps, one through four. 30 laps round five, 10 lap final round shootout. Again, I still think it should be 20 laps, but that's beside the point. I'm editorializing. It's a 10 lap shootout. 
uh, at the beginning, this is, here's how they're, so this is what's really weird to me, is instead of just keeping the field order as it is, or at the very least just doing a very basic invert, they're doing mm-hmm. this weird thing to determine the lineups for the next, the, the, uh, each round. And yeah. this doesn't make any sense to me at all. Why would you not just keep the running order or invert them? It, it seems makes sense most about- logical in every other type of, well, NASCAR is the only series I know that of that has a, a, a race like this, an all-star race. So this is the only time that I've ever seen it happen. But most other racing series that have two races or have other things like that, they just invert the field. It's a standard invert. You can invert the top 10. You can invert the whole field. Who cares? You can invert the first, you know, you could bring, put the first place driver and the last place driver and have them just switch spots and see what happens. You know, I don't care, but whatever the heck they're doing here is the round two, they're going to be, the the field will be inverted via a random draw. So it will be inverted, but it, not like the standard invert, like first goes to 10th and set, et cetera. It's just going to be a random draw. So there's just a minimum of eight, a maximum of 12. This will be live on FS1, I'd assume so. Um the round two random draw will also be seen live by fans attending the race on Big Hoss TV. So they're just, every 15 laps, they're just going to redraw. What? This is ridiculous. So as if that's not hard enough, the beginning of round three, the entire field will just be inverted as a normal. So what they should have been doing all the, before this, they're finally doing it after the end of uh, the 15 lap round three. Or excuse me, the 15 lap round two into the round three, and right. then at the beginning of round four, it will, they're going to invert it via a random draw again. And then this is what bothers me the most: round five, it's a 10 lap shootout. 30? No, that's that's a 30 lap shootout. No, round five. No, yeah, round five is the 30 oh, lap. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. See, I'm I'm already confused. I'm reading this and I'm already confused. So starting positions for round five will consist of the cumulative finish from rounds one through four. The lowest cumulative finisher starts on the pole. Second lowest starts second and so forth. So the best car cumulatively from rounds one through four will basically start at the rear. And the worst ones, you know, the inevitable fan vote winners or whatever. No, it won't. The lowest cumulative finisher starts on the pole. So if you start, so if you win both all four stages, you start first. Oh, I thought it was. Never mind. I, no. Low. I heard lowest, and I thought like, oh, the guy who finished like twentieth. No, no. If you, it's, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like golf. You, if you, the lowest, okay. the lowest thing, the lowest, uh, uh, whatever they call that, score win. You know, here, yeah. See, this is just too convoluted. So, so my I'll, brain I'll is fried. Yeah, I, I, I'll take over for you here. Not, not to, not to stomp on your parade. So yeah, so starting no, position around. I need a minute to like comprehend all this because I read this when it came out and it didn't make sense. And now I'm rereading again on this podcast, and I'm being so unprofessional because I don't even know what the heck I'm talking about. It's good. So starting position for round five will consist of cumulative finish from rounds one through four. Lowest cumulative finisher starts on pole. Uh, second lowest starts second, so forth. All cars must enter pit road for a mandatory four tire pit stop during round five. Then starting positions in the final round are set by the finishing positions of oh, oh excuse me, the starting positions for the, in the final round are set by the finishing order of round five. So essentially, is they're just trying to re- reward everyone, finish as high as you can, because then it's going to set you up for the opportunity to win the thing in the ten round, uh, the ten lap shootout. Um, 
Only green flag laps will count. I think that's pretty normal. The fastest team on pit road uh, during the mandatory pit stop will earn $100,000, and the race winner wins a million. I'll tell you what. When I when I read this, I didn't read it initially, right when it first came out. I forget what I was doing, but I was busy. I think I might have been driving. Um, but I read this, I'm like, what is going on? Like, why is everyone freaking out over this? And then and then I read it myself, like, yep, I get this. Only Bob Pachris is going to get what's going on. Okay. And Only even Bob then Pac- he might be lucky if he even is able like he's probably gonna have it on a sheet in front of him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and yeah. He's bro- gonna like rehearse how to answer tweets for like the whole uh, week. Yeah. You know, and so Rob, I, I wrote down here and I'll say mine first. What Please are do, you because my brain is still fried. Like I am yeah. trying to comprehend this and I am still like my brain is completely fried, and I am trying. I, I I've read this like three, four times, and even reading it again, I'm still confused. I, go ahead and tell your thing, because I think everyone knows where I stand. Yeah. So my, I pose the question: What are your true feelings about the All Star Race and what it has become? Here are my true feelings. I love and respect everyone at Speedway Motorsports and the hard work they they do to put on this race. There was a conversation by a, a few different individuals about this, and I think Nate Ryan was one of them who mentioned it. The only way to save this all-star race, to make it something again, is to go places that we just don't normally go. You know, I know Bowman Gray was thrown out there. Uh, why not go to a dirt track somewhere, run there, go to another bull ring out, out west, go to somewhere that we just don't go to. But my kind of thoughts and feelings are, because I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. I don't see Speedway Motorsports saying, you know what, we're going we're, we're, we're to we're go to Bowman Gray next year, and we're going to say we're going to have a bunch of qualifier races, and we're going to take, you know, the, you know, 12 18 cars we're going to race around bowman gray it's not going to happen i'm going to drop it i'm going to drop a dud on here or a bomb on you you're going to get a roller bomb not a stern bomb but a roller bomb scrap the all-star race turn it into a points race this has become this is just this is this is too complicated if it's going to be this complicated it's not you're not going to draw in new fans off of this and or your fans who've been watching for a few weeks or fans have been watching since Daytona. They're going to get to July. Like, what is going on? I mean, even the all-star race for MLB, it's just whoever wins the game. It's a, it's a regular game. But whoever wins, you know, American League or whatever they do now. or The NBA is this. You can say what you want about the NBA, the, the NBA um, all-star game. But all-star weekend. The NBA All-Star Weekend is still just as entertaining as ever. The dunk contest, the three-point contest, hell, those are all great. That's what NASCAR had. See, the thing is— NASCAR had that for years. But NASCAR we- had We had a pit stop contest. We had a burnout contest. Why yeah. don't we have that? Like, the NBA might—the NBA knows that the All-Star game isn't going to be great because nobody's going to be trying their hardest. No. But they— know that hey if we put on a dunk contest if we put on a three-point contest people are going to actually try their hardest on this because it's not going to it's not you know it's not going to be any any more than a standard workout for them yeah you know what i mean here's another thing that they could do that i know they won't do nascar won't allow it put all three series together put the three take the top (laughs) 12 take all take all the winners from all-star week year a to all-star uh, week year B, 
And just I think it should be wild. You should have two wild cards as the Xfinity and the Truck Champions. Yeah, I would. I, I don't care. It needs to. It's just uh, it broke. put them in generic cars fielded by whoever, like yeah. Hendrick or Roush or whatever, like yeah. someone doesn't have that's named Rick Ware. Build another. Um, you put them in. You put the Xfinity and the the the, the Truck Champion in there, just as like wild cards. Yeah, and see, yeah, I that would make that would add more value to it than what it currently has. And I, I didn't want to hijack yours, but I want to say my piece before we yeah, get before we waste too much time. I wanted to say my piece real quick. I've always liked the All Star Race. I've always felt like the All Star Race has been really fun. But of course, I think, and this is true, I really and truthfully think since about 2011, we have not had a memorable All Star Race. They have been entirely forgettable. They have been virtually just i i haven't cared as much about uh i don't know how to describe this um i don't have enough i I just don't care i just don't care enough like i did back in the day because it used to be you know you had 20 segments memorable in in a few ways not 2019 was memorable in a few ways but other than that no i cannot remember all-star race i i think back i think back 2009 was great awesome 2010 mm-hmm. was awesome 2008 was awesome i mean i think 2007 six five four all awesome uh golly man 2001 was that crazy one they took the green flag the skies opened up everybody crashed into turn one then everybody's on there fixing their cars repairing them and then they're like hey you could go ahead it's a non-points race bring out your backup cars we're going to restart this race okay everybody goes brings out their backup cars basically you got a bunch of guys out there in cars that haven't practiced qualified done anything much like they do now and 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 just throw them out there and jeff gordon one of the guys who wrecked that wrecked his car walked right out there in a backup car he hadn't touched and won the damn thing why in the that is what i'm talking about that is what made the all-star race exciting and it was always for going for a million dollars nowadays i feel like a million dollars isn't nearly as much as it used no. to be it's not as it's not as much as it was even maybe 10 years ago it's just if you want if you if you, that part of it and i don't know again i don't know who pays for the pays for that million dollars I mean, obviously it comes from sponsorship but um it needs to be something like two million. It needs to be. It needs to be upped. Uh, it it needs the the, it, the prize money definitely needs to go up yeah, for the All Star Race because at this point it feels like nobody's really trying. Yeah. It, well, and, and and now and you and if you have a charter, you are mandated that you have to participate. Yeah. Um, what, again, 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 I say, you know, I did, not to hijack whatever you had to say, but you know, if you're not going to make it really unique by going to a place. You know, like Bowman Gray, like Hickory, Orange County, um, you know, s- somewhere that isn't going to have the opportunity to host a cup race on the regular or uh, ever in its current state. Turn into a points race, turn into a points race, you know, and 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 just have and just and I don't know, just give it a million. This is the million dollar race. I don't know. All right. Well, Josh, let's move on here. Let's get get, get rid of all that negative talk let's talk well let's talk about some more negative stuff our featured pain scheme this week's gonna be a little bit different yeah. uh instead of our favorite or the best or the most notable we're picking the worst the worst 2004 nascar next cup series paint scheme ever josh go ahead and go first what's the worst paint scheme you found 
Yes, um, this one is rather easy for me. Um, it is Terry Labonte's Incredibles Chevrolet. He drove at Phoenix. Um, I'm going to type up here. I forgot to pull this up. But it is basically, this is this is like one of those movie promotion cars. You know, you think it's going to be pretty cool. You know, typically. And, and Terry, Terry's driven. The Monsters Inc. car he drove in like 2000 uh, or 2001 was really good. Yeah, whatever year that was, I can't remember now. That one was really good. So Terry had it. Oh, oh, no, actually, this would have been the next year. Uh, Kyle Busch Robots car was really good. I remember that one. Yeah, remember so the movie Robots have been good, or TV show cars that have been good. Yeah. But this one, this one, imagine this. Okay, this is literally how I think about this. You paint a car black. You put the yellow five on. And then you go to your child and say, here's a bunch of stickers, put them on the car. That's what they did, okay? I'm looking at it right now, all right? So it's got, it's, it's again, all black, yellow trim uh, along the valences. Valences. Let's just appreciate valences for like two seconds and appreciation over. I think there's um, a throwback car coming that actually has a valence painted on. That's I think awesome. I saw. That's awesome. Anyway, but, continue. Yeah, so you got... Yeah, Mr. Incredible in the hood and the Incredibles logo and the Kellogg's logo and then the Incredibles wordage. You have um, the mom on the driver's side, the daughter on the on the passenger side. It's just it's just too plain. It's horrible. Uh, again, it's like you, they took a test car and just put decals on it. That's what they did here. Uh, for, <laughs> really, for something that could have been really cool, like they could have literally incorporated. The Incredibles eye logo and the swooshes into right. the number. Okay. But it should have at the very least have been red. The yes. car should have been red. Yeah, this was this was a huge missed opportunity. Horrible paint scheme. I, I love Terry. Terry, I love ya. you. You 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 know, you you had some memorable Terry's moments. fault the scheme sucked. Yeah. It's I know whoever I'm, was in I'm, charge of promoting the movie. <laughs> and I'm and I'm sorry to those who designed the car if you thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread, but I'm gonna disagree. And it's, it, to me, this is my this is my pick for the worst paint scheme in the 2004 uh nascar and xl cup series season oh and by the way unfortunately terry yeah yeah you, you qualified 31st and you finished 32nd Sorry. oh yikes yeah not good um i'm gonna go ahead and 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 jump into mine mine is one that has always bothered me this one is always ever since first time i saw it this one bothered me so bill davis ran a uh third a second car excuse me uh, number 23 originally with dave blaney and later with a couple other drivers i think mike skinner drove it um and, and maybe uh and i know shane meal drove it later in the year um but this this always bothered me so originally they had like sponsorship for the first couple of races and i think maybe two or three more later um with wheeling and wheeling engineering on this 23 with dave blaney it was a 23 dodge uh, and it was all white. It was a really good look of car, actually. It, it, I didn't mind it at all. It was actually pretty good. Um, but then, whatever in the world happened with it after Whelan left, they just they kept the the wrap of this or whatever they did. They kept the top wrap, so it was still like this different font of twenty three. But then they on the roof of the car, it was entirely different. It was still like the Whelan engineering wrap and. Every time they ran this car with a different paint scheme, they never changed the roof. So the roof never matched the paint scheme, ever. As soon as Whelan was off the car, like, I think Shane Meal drove it with a uh, cat rental, rental on it at one point. It was the most 
it looked like it was the most slapped together piece of crap car. You're looking at it. It looks like an Arca car. Is it it does. Arca? It does look like an Arca car. Okay, we both said the same thing. Yeah, it did look like an Arca car. I mean, all the all it was lacking was a bunch of tape on it rolling off of the uh, a hauler. You know, then it's a true Arca car when it's got tape on it off the hauler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean this. I mean this. Bill Davis at this time, I recognize that you know he might not have had enough money to run two cars anymore, but he surely had enough money to rewrap the thing. I mean, he didn't. They didn't even try to make it look nice. It looked like the most ugliest car. I mean, if my, uh, if my product's logo is on that. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Like, they've got a whole other car out there that looks beautiful. It's cat-colored. It looks great. And then you have this other piece of junk running around there as an R&D car, basically, at the back of the field, barely making the show, looking like a piece of junk that just rolled off the truck, you know, from some dude's backyard out in Missouri. It's just, it was, it's awful. It's awful. But I, I don't know how this happened. This kind of stuff would never be allowed today. <laughs> Maybe in ARCA. I know it's allowed in ARCA, but I don't think it'd be allowed in uh, top three NASCAR series, at least. No, it, it is a, technically, it is allowed in Cup because Jimmy Johnson did it last year. He had the the 48 on the side decal, like Earnhardt's three, and then the, the, then the roof. Yeah, but it wasn't, it, that was designed that way. It wasn't done that way out of pure laziness it was designed that way i don't think there's anything that says the top has to match the side you just can't have like two different colored sides you can't have those the the the, the right side be red and the in the left side be blue like terry labani's last ride was supposed to be yeah like yeah because it's supposed to be the yeah the uh kellogg's cornflakes and gm or the piedmont airlines yep yeah car that was a great looking car just unfortunately was not allowed to race yeah nascar said no but then said yes or didn't they let Suarez run one like that, I think. Like a Lennox and Irwin yes. Tools yes. combo one. And that, so, that wasn't on Suarez. That was just like, I was like, wait, so this is not okay, but this is? I think it was on, yeah. I Well, again, you go, you get years later, different leadership, different people making decisions. Uh, anyway, it worked. Let's talk about the racing. We, talk, we told everybody in the start of the show we were going to talk about racing. It was 45 minutes in. We haven't even talked about the races from this weekend, so let's jump into it. Truck Series was at Kansas. Uh, it was a fairly decent race, I guess. Josh, we watched it a little bit. Um, you know, I enjoyed it. I had it on the second screen. Obviously, I was watching IndyCar instead because uh, there's a reason. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pick IndyCar over uh, Truck Series race anyway time. Um, that's not an insult to the truck series. That's a straight up insult to Vince Welsh being a terrible color commentator. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry again. I'm sorry. My opinions are really, really strong today. Um, let's go ahead. But Kyle Busch won the race, uh, as to no one's surprise. Of course, there was there was periods there where I didn't think he was going to win it. He didn't end up taking the lead in the last couple of laps, and or actually on the last restart. I mean, it was he restarted like fifth or something maybe third or fourth or fourth. something and then second on the he was waiting for other drivers to he the other two two drivers like touched and he was gone he just took the lead much almost like almost like what happened to him on sunday yeah i mean he's kind of lucked into both wins <laughs> i well, mean he, not, i don't want to say lucked in because he ran very very well in both races he was oh. around at the finish he didn't luck into them but he was very lucky in where he was able to place his car i should say yeah, he was the best truck on on Saturday night Saturday. For, for the uh, for the trucks. But you know that caution 
And then he came out, and whatever happened on that restart certainly shuffled him back, and he was not going to win that race until there was another caution, in which case he, you know, regrouped and had a really great restart. Um, and Don't count out Kyle Busch, man. You, you don't ever. ever can. The only way I count him out is if he's the fourth rower back. You know, I, I, nah, I like even then I wouldn't. Fourth rower back, I'm like, there's dead. I think there's going to be too wide. The row, I think you could do it. Yeah. Give, give, if he, if let's, it depends on the length of the restart. If it's ten to go and he restarts tenth, I think he can do it. If it's like five, if if it's if it's an overtime finish and he restarts tenth, yeah. probably not. Yeah, and this it, kid, it, it depends. Yeah, I, but I, yeah, I, I think he had the he had the best truck and he deserved to win. Won both stages. Um, yeah. But uh, I did want to I did want to note this too. Um, nice Motorsports running w- ran really well. They had a really good showing, and they ran uh, Ross Chastain. Was in the um, was he in the forty four? Melon car. He was in the melon. He was in the forty four melon truck. I keep calling it car. It's a truck. We're talking about the truck series. Side note: I've I've been meaning wanting to say this. You know what? Mountain Dew needs to sponsor him with the major melon flavor. Come on, really? Writes itself, folks. It writes itself. Um, but Ross Chastain and Bailey Curry running really well, and Bailey Curry was in the forty five. Just throwing this out there. What does that say about Brett Moffat? I think it says Brett Moffat is still focusing on the Xfinity series more than the truck series. I exactly what I was thinking. I think that, and I don't blame him for that. I, don't I think, think he's got a better deal with our motorsports than he does with Nice because I think he's an afterthought at Nice. Nice cares about like Ross and whatever, and whoever I, brings money. And, and I don't think Moffat's like a high on their list as as he used to be. I, I don't think, think ever was, but Hosevar has 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 been the best car there all a truck. Yeah. Season, long. I don't think they're giving. I don't, they, they might not because he's not running for points there anymore. I think they're just they're not giving him the best I stuff either. I don't think he's coming back, probably he, not. Why would I you? Don't think he's coming back because he could have run this race. He only he he now can't run the, the trip races starting next week at Darlington, then Dover, and then Coda. He could mm-hmm. have ran this race, so I think he might he might be done at Nice. He might be done. Uh, I, I think he's fine. I think he's got a better deal, like I said, with our. Yeah, our motorsports. Uh, moving on here to uh, Formula One, we had an interesting race here at Portimao. Always a, a good, fun place, but oh, so much controversy around track limits. Again, F1 continues every week to basically <laughs> write rules as they please on track limits. Yeah. It's, it's. I'm not sure if it's the drivers or if it's the regulations are too strict. I really don't know what it is. I mean, I don't want it to be like NASCAR where track limits don't exist. But I don't want it to be like super laid back that guys are getting advantages and taking advantage of gray areas and the rules. It's really tough to to get in on that. I think plain and simple, the drivers just if they're upset about track limits, I really think that especially like Verstappen, Helmet Marco was all upset about track limits. Verstappen was all upset about track limits. Every, or everybody's upset about track limits because they keep losing, getting their times deleted and fast laps deleted. It's like I understand that, I respect that. But here's the thing: if you can't set those laps without cutting the course or using some extra part of the course, you didn't deserve it anyway. Because the idea is to use the appropriate, to set the fastest lap within the appropriate bounds of the track. And I understand, I think, you know, I think that should be more strict during qualifying than it should be during the race. I think during the race, you're going for every inch possible. And sometimes you're just going, you know, I think there's instances in a lot of cases where, you know, you're going to be going for a pass and, you know, if you put all four wheels off the onto the rumble strips or onto the 
a runoff area just for a brief moment and then come back onto the track. I can't, you know, you're just, it could be a simple gust of wind. It could be a pressure change from getting too close to the car in front. It could be a number of things. It's not necessarily driver error. You know what I mean? There's situations in that where it's not always driver error or it's not always the drivers not paying attention to track limits. It's usually in some cases, something else that's out of their driver's control that would make them do something as a track limits violation that's that would be that egregious i think in verstappen's case i don't i don't necessarily think that he should have had his fastest lap time deleted i think they should be again more lenient on track limits during the race they should be more strict during qualifying and less strict during the race if that makes any sense to me because i think during qualifying i want them i want them to be like all right when you're going for your fastest lap here's how you should learn how to do it while staying within the track limit parameters. Now, if you get to the race and you're setting the same laps you would have set in qualifying and you go off, we're going to know, the the FIA and the stewards are going to know, oh, okay, you didn't do this to gain an advantage because you wouldn't normally have done that. You did this because of some other reason or just at the very least give them more than three strikes in in situations like that because sometimes drivers could just do it on accident. That's how I felt about track limits during the race. I think track limits is too strict during the race right now. Track limits should be policed more during qualifying. What 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 do you say, Josh? Well, yeah. Well, there's a couple points. A lot, a lot of points I want to say. First off, I think there's definitely an underlying favoritism. We there's certainly drivers who oh, have yes. not definitely people who have gone over the line and exceeded track limits and not been penalized. So these cars are technologically advanced enough that they can put sensors on these cars and they can be like, okay, yep, you exceeded track limits. Oh, you exceeded track limits. And you can tell when these cars did. And after a certain point, um, and I wouldn't say, like, just say you've exceeded track limits all across the track three times you get a strike. I think you need to have at certain points because, you know, okay, you exceeded track limits in turn four three times. Next one, you're you're getting a penalty. And, and, if you exceed track limits in four, in turn 14, you don't, you, okay, you get, you get three strikes there. But my thing is, and I've heard, and I was, when I was going through comments on, on Twitter and, and what other people were saying, and I have to agree, the drivers have it too easy. They have too, they have it too easy because these tracks aren't punishing. You go off, you have, you have asphalt runoff. So you're going to use every inch that you can get a la, Look at what happened at Kansas and Texas this past weekend in the IndyCar the Cup Series at Kansas or NASCAR Cup uh, at Kansas and IndyCar Texas. You're going to use every inch you can get. If it's grass there or gravel there on the edge, you have a white line, and then you have six inches of pavement, and then you have some something that is not pavement. You're going to get like, punished. Like Imola was a great example of that because yeah. there's almost no runoff area at Imola, but at almost every other track, there's runoff areas aplenty. Yes, and and for whatever I, you know, I there's pr- plenty of reasons safety um, and uh, cost. Or at the very t- least, they should do it more like Bahrain and put a bunch of sand everywhere. Yes, I sand. not like kitty litter, not like gravel, but like actual sand. Yeah, put like something that, is, that if your tire hits that, you're gonna be like crap. Darn it! I got You are going to lose time. It's going to be self policing. You won't even have to worry about track limit ex- uh, uh, penalties because. The driver's going to lose seconds, multiple seconds, just by going off. So these tracks are too easy to drive um, because you have they're forgiving. They're too forgiving. That's the way. I, that's why you're not too easy to drive, but they're just too forgiving. 
But when you but since we don't have that, and you're not going to go around to the 19 permanent circuits on the on the on the uh, calendar and say, hey, you got to make these changes, or you're going to lose your date type of deal because we're going to we're going to fix it this way. You have to police it consistently and the race director and the rate, you know, might we got to point the finger at Michael Massey at this because he has not been consistent in the lead in the leadership role in this because it, it is just it, at this point, it's a joke. It, it is a straight up joke. And the teams who are losing out on this do not deserve it because honestly, they're not doing it as much as another. Well, you know, and that's a good point. I think that uh, we're looking at a situation where, this this will probably be talked about for the net rest of the season, probably, uh, yeah. and and until something gets done about it. But uh, um, Lewis Hamilton was the winner. Um, it was actually I was actually surprised. Uh, Hamilton looked really fast because um, I was I was surprised there for a minute because they when Botas beat him into turn one, I was like, oh, okay, let's see what Botas's pace looks like. Then Max Max got by. Hamilton. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe Hamilton doesn't have much pace. Let's see what Max has. And I don't know what the heck happened, but after that safety car for Raikkonen running into Geo, which again, Raikkonen makes so many freaking mistakes. I love Kimmy. Everybody loves Kimmy, but dude, I don't know how where his focus is because he runs into his own teammate while. And I said, this is his. This is him. He said he was making an adjustment on his steering wheel. He wasn't looking. He was basically wasn't paying attention to where Geo is. He was looking down at the steering wheel. And he just nails his teammate's rear wing. It's like you can't do that, dude. Yeah. You you are a, you were a, a former world champion in Formula One. I understand that you you say it's just a hobby to you, but hobby or not, you can't run into the back of your teammate and ruin his race because you're not paying attention. I mean, that's not fair to Geo. Geo gets enough. Geo gets too much crap because he's teamed with Kimmy and everybody's yeah. comparing him to Kimmy and it's not fair to Gio because I think Gio's a way better driver than anybody gives him credit for and I've said that for a long time I think Gio's a way better driver. he's not he's not going to set the world on fire but he's you know he's not going to set the world on fire in F1 but I'm saying if that guy goes to like WEC or Formula E I, I say he's a champion immediately you know what I mean yeah. um and but that you know Formula One is not for everybody as, as we see and that's not a bad thing you don't have to be the greatest Formula One driver of all time to have your racing career be a success. Um, there's a lot of plenty of drivers that can vouch for that. Rossi, Rossi's one, you know, um, or or geez, even Michael Andretti. Michael Andretti sucked in Formula One again. He was teammates with Ayrton Senna. He was gonna suck. He was doomed from the start. But nobody considers says nobody ever is going to say Michael Andretti was a bad driver. Nobody would say that because we all know what he was able to accomplish over here in IndyCar. He never won the 500, but I would chalk that one up to literally being cursed. It's not his fault he's cursed. He's cursed. <laughs> it's not his fault. He's a good driver in, in his own respect. He's won kart championships. You, you don't win kart championships by being a bad driver. It doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Um, hell, he's got good finishes at Indy. He's just never won the thing. Uh, it's just, I don't know. I, that's what I'm talking about. So, but, um, you know, I look at that and, and, and I say, you know, Kimmy, Kimmy needs to reevaluate some stuff because it's not fair. If he's, if he's screwing Geo over at this point, that's not fair to Geo. Geo deserves better than that. Um, but yeah, after what I was getting at was after Kimmy had the, uh, the accident brought out safety car, Hamilton became another driver. Hamilton just became a completely other driver. I mean, he passed uh, Verstappen and then he passed Botas. No effort at all. 
he just became, he just turned it on. I don't know if he just had a bad start or whatever, but as soon as as soon as that restart on that safety car went out, Hamilton, it was like he started he started his race at that yeah. point, and he just started. He was like, "All right, let's go, let's go for it." And then I got I guess talk about Perez here for a minute. Perez is kind of getting yeah. the short end of the stick. I don't know if it's him making mistakes or if it's Red Bull not giving him whatever Max has. I think it's him adjusting. I think you think so. I think. Well, he hasn't. The first two races just didn't go his way from start to finish. Right. And then this this race could have gone better, but I they had a slow stop on pit road, and that screwed him. Yeah, but I think um, I think this was the most complete race he's run. And look, it's going to take time for him to adjust to this team, this car, this culture where he's been at Racing Point for all these years. And uh, now Aston Martin, but he's been he's been there. I'm not I'm not worried about his performance yet. I I would actually say, look, this is going to be fun. Mercedes may win the driver's championship with Lewis Hamilton, but Red Bull might win the constructors championship battle. I think Red Bull Red Bull should really be focusing on the constructors title because they have a legitimate chance to take it to him. Botas, I don't want to say this. I don't know how to say this, but Hamilton's not going to retire as often as Botas will. Botas already has one retirement this year. Mm-hmm. Like that's well, one retirement. And, now and, and 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 if if Perez hadn't finished outside the points in that same race, Red Bull would be ahead right now. I have to think it's going to happen again. Botas is going to have another retirement. Red Bull has to make sure that they capitalize with Perez, and they have to make sure that Verstappen doesn't break down. They have to make well, sure they capitalize. Yeah, and and I would say this, even that, I think you're going to see Lewis Hamilton in Verstappen in the top three a lot. Very well, rarely. Course, that's who's going to be. That's going to be the main title fight this year is Hamilton versus Verstappen. Yes, but I you're think not, we've all known that from the start. But you're going to see Perez in the top four more often. Than you're going to see Botas in the top four, and that is why Botas is the big weak link at Mercedes. For the constructors championship, where in previous years he hasn't had to worry about that because the second driver Red Bull has not been good. All right, has mm-hmm. not been up to the task. Now Perez being in that second seat is. It's going to be fun to watch that little that 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 infighting because you know Toto's not going to want to win the drivers championship and lose the constructors championship. No, but you know he's not. Red Bull wants to just snatch that away and say, "Guess what? You weren't perfect this year." I'm I'm interested in seeing it. Um, things I want to talk about here. Oh, um, Mazepin ignored blue flags again. But actually, this is what's interesting. I'm, I'm going to talk about Mazepin for a minute because this is what's crazy. I know it's easy and fun to hate on him and stuff, but this is what I'm hearing more and more is, I guess his race engineer is just a giant idiot. He doesn't tell him anything. I don't know. This is, this is, I'm serious. I'm serious. Apparently, because... There, people will, will post like uh, excerpts from like F1 TV um, on Reddit, and you can see all this, and you can listen to this. And um, it's always interesting to me because Mazepin will make a mistake, and then immediately, as soon as he makes that mistake, you hear like race engineer get on and be like, "Oh, sorry, I forgot to tell you this." <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm serious. I'm serious. This is every, almost every time Mazepin makes a mistake, and then his race engineer gets on and is like, "Oh, sorry, I forgot." Like, so this is what I was watching. I'm watching. You can listen if you can find it. You can listen to it. Uh, Mazepin is not told. He's not told. He has when Perez is coming up on him and and he chops him. He's his race engineer did not tell him 
that the leader was coming at the rate that he was coming at. He had did not tell him. Mazepin did not see the blue flags until it was too late. And he almost like wrecked Perez and was like, oh, shoot. I mean, like, I think he knows he's under a microscope. And who would understand that? Of course, he's under a microscope. So, like, if his own race engineer isn't relaying this stuff, he knows it's making him look worse. Like, people already are looking at him, looking for excuses to, like, bash him. And now his race engineer's over here not doing his job and basically making him look worse. I hear one, if I get two races and like, ooh, I forgot that. I'm like, okay, you're gone. He needs a new race engineer. He just flat needs a new race engineer. Desperately. I mean, I understand everybody hates him, but seriously, if Haas wants to at the very least make the guy not look as bad as he does now, they need to find him a new race engineer because he's going to keep making these mistakes until he gets somebody competent on the radio. Is there any? Is this guy who was a you know? If it, before we move on, is this guy who was a race engineer for either Grosjean or or or? Uh... I don't I don't know who it is. I really don't know. But it's just been interesting the last because apparently, apparently when in qualifying when he had that I didn't know this until someone posted the video as well. In qualifying, he uh the at Bahrain when he overtook everybody against the gentleman's agreement, um his race engineer didn't tell him that didn't tell him what was going on. He just was like, go. He was just like, he just told him to go. And he was like, oh, okay, well, I better go. And he just starts passing everybody because that's what his race engineer told him. His race engineer did not tell him, hey, wait, everyone, wait until everybody goes. They're waiting to gap the car ahead of them. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's what he should have said. He didn't tell him that. He just said, oh, yeah, go, whatever. He wasn't paying attention or whatever. So Mazepin, thinking, oh, well, my race engineer knows more than I do goes and then fun and then after the race is getting yelled at by everybody and he's like but i didn't get i didn't know no one told me and that's and in his defense that was his legitimate defense nobody had told him and now listening onto the radio and seeing that it's like oh yeah you're right maybe this is haas's whole ploy to get him (laughs) some sympathy points i if if that's it's working it's working for me because man i I'm still in the hashtag say no to Mazepin club, but dude, if, if if his race engineer is screwing him every week, I'm ah, I've got to say that I don't think he deserves it as much as you know. I mean, he deserves he deserves crap for what he did on Instagram, but what he's doing behind the race car, I, I'm I don't think he he deserves that kind of crap. Uh, moving on here to Texas, IndyCar had two races in Texas. Again, I'm going to reiterate what. The first race was was crap. I'm sorry. The first race was crap. I don't know what it is. If it was, it was probably a number of situations. Obviously, Texas talked about it last year, one year ago on this show, uh, one year and a month ago on this show. I ranted about how Texas needs to bulldoze one and two again and remake it 24 degrees of banking because this whole repave thing is just awful. Either they need to just repave the whole track entirely and fix it, or I, I don't know. It's just unacceptable because. Texas was once a great track. It produced the best racing. It, I mean, it was one of the few racetracks, I think, that consistently had good NASCAR and IndyCar races. And there's not very many racetracks can, that can say that. Normally, it's one or the other. You either have a really good IndyCar race or you have a really good NASCAR race or you have a dud of a NASCAR race and, or a dud of an IndyCar. You never have both. And Texas was always that nice thing where it could put on any NASCAR race. Xfinity, Truck, Cup, didn't matter. Be a good show. It could go on IndyCar and put on a good show as well. 
and now it, it can't put on a good show for either because you have all of turn one. Basically, you have a groove and a half in turn one, and then it's ice. It's it's just ice. How the hell do you pass? And watching Texas on day one, congrats to Scott Dixon, but he dominated the race. There was no passing at all. It seemed almost difficult to pass because I'm going to go with the race condition. So it was it was a lot cooler on on Saturday night, and also it was a more night race. Um, and it also rained. So I think that played into a lot of it. I think you had cooler air temperatures. You had more grip on the in, in the tires, but you didn't have enough grip on the track, if that made any sense. Yeah. So you just – the combination of those two was not going to create a good race. But Scott McLaughlin did get second, which is incredible. That's on oval debut, by the way. Scott McLaughlin had never driven an oval before, second on oval debut, which is really impressive. Really, really, really impressive there. Um, and – I, I got to give him creds on that, but it, it just see that PJ one. I they tried to scrape it off, obviously, but here's the thing: the PJ one didn't work for NASCAR. It's not work. It's it's making the IndyCar product worse. Yeah. I mean, and I know they tried to scrape it off, and they've tried to scrape it off, but I don't think it's coming. The concrete. Off. The concrete it's it, it, it's not coming off. They just and I hate to be. I know Eddie Gossage probably doesn't have the money or the ability to put it put into it right now because he hasn't done it. But dude, you have to repave that and fix that turn one because you are. I'm so worried about Texas losing more fans because of the poor product it puts on now. I mean, it used to put on the best product you could buy for your money, and it it's hosting the All Star Race, and I just don't think the All Star Race is going to be that good of a race because I you, you IndyCar the, the race two was better, and I'm going to explain why race two was better it was because I think it was a little bit hotter. Mm-hmm. You had it was a little bit less. It was a little bit more slick on the racetrack, um, but the groove had been. The, the main groove had been put on from yeah. the race yesterday. So I think there was more room to play with. And it really seemed – it wasn't a Texas race. It seemed more like an Indy, an Indianapolis-style race where it was kind of like you set up to – pass. You, you don't make your pass on a whim because you have the draft. It's more like, all right, I need to find where I'm going to get in the draft. I need to take this corner this way, and I need to set up my pass because you really had to make the pass in a turn one when you break. So you have to go – Basically, you have to follow the guy through turn turns one and two as best as you can, get a good draft of them down the backstretch, and follow that car as much as you can through turns three and four, which, again, you can go full throttle through, which really mm-hmm. bothered me. Guys were pulling like 214, 215 through turns three and four, but then had to back out to about 180 for turns one and two. That's ridiculous. You could That's hear ridiculous. It. Hear the difference on in-car. But you, you, it really did make the Sunday race a lot more interesting because there was more ability to pass. Now, I don't know if that was because of, I don't know what that was for. I, I want to say it was because it was a little bit warmer, um, a little bit nicer, more grip had been laid down prior to that from the night before. All the reason right there. I think yeah, I mean, but it was a better race. We got a better race. Uh, another thing. So we had a big crash on the start of the race. Uh, yeah. Connor Daly flipped. Pietro Fittipaldi got into Sebastian Bourdais, set him off. So that's the second time in two days Bourdais got wrecked by mm-hmm. someone behind him. Not his fault at all, uh, which is really disappointing because Bourdais definitely has had nothing but terrible luck since returning to IndyCar. Seriously, like he has had nothing but terrible luck. Yeah, he's won some races, but outside of that, he's just been had awful, awful luck. Uh, I mean, he's not won races in a while. It's been a while since he's won some races. Um, a couple of years, I think. Yeah, last uh, one I think it was maybe at St. Pete a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think you're right. 2018 St. Pete, I think I want to say. Um, uh, but, but what I'm saying here is uh, 
something IndyCar really needs to start doing is, especially in ovals, is they got to throw the green flag in the backstretch again. I mean, this is getting dangerous. I mean, Formula One has this problem where you have guys lagging back, lagging back, lagging back, and then going. And then the rear of the field is trying to bunch up, and they're coming at such a rate of speed. And then you have the, the leader just start lagging back right before the restart zone. And then everybody's trying to slow up, slow up, slow up from who's coming up, trying to bunch up from behind. You just have this problem. What they used to do back in the day in the old IRL days was they'd throw the green on the backstretch so you basically the cars would be up to speed by the time they hit the front straightaway. That pretty much avoided all of those big heavy backups and accidents that you like you saw on Sunday. The IRL needs to do that. IndyCar, I call them the IRL. IndyCar needs to do that. Go back to that because that was, I think, the sa- a safer way to start the race, and it, it just made more sense on an oval. For when you have these, I mean, at Indianapolis, yeah, I understand. You want to wait till the front stretch to throw it but let's be honest you don't have really 11 rows of three unless the guys are bogging bagging backing off as far as possible on most tracks you have the rear end of the field trying to catch up and bunch up by the time the green flag starts if you just throw the green flag on the restart then those guys at the back will be full throttle by the time they get hit at the restart anyway you won't have any these big backups josh you wouldn't have something to say i'm sorry yeah you're good um i think uh I think you have a point, but I think the, the reason they won't do that is because of the PJ one in turns three and four. Um, just in case the guys. Oh get- yeah. But I'm saying if they, if they on another oval, like oh. I'm saying, if they do this at gateway, I'd prefer that. Or if they came and, and, and went to another high speed oval, like Michigan in my fantasy dream that they go to Michigan and I'm so happy they do it there. Or it, or like I said, if Texas is, actually able to repave the track and fix it they should still do it anyway i don't because i just think it's safer and it will prevent accidents like that on the start yeah I, I, but i think that the root what they gotta go do now is just they need it there needs to be sort of a gentleman's agreement kind of like what we see at indianapolis there's major spacing in between the rows where you're going to be single file or mostly single file by the time you get to turn one at Indianapolis. We see that on the, on the, on the initial starts, you know, I mean, it, it, the pole sitter gets first, second, you know, kids can't pass before you get to the line anyways, but um, that's what needs to happen. This field, the, 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 there needs to be some sort of a gentleman's agreement. Like I, I get it, you know, track position is King, but we also want to survive through lap one. Okay. These guys didn't even complete one lap. They, they, they completed 50 feet at best. Um, so they just need they need to be a little bit more gentlemanly, gentlemanly about it, and just say. Well, I've said that about IndyCar for the longest time because ever since Wickens crashed, I mean, it. I've always said that you know these guys aren't nearly as smart as they should be. You know, we saw with the Wickens crash at Pocono, Wickens never should have done done that. Was by the way, he he's supposed to announce here tomorrow. I guess he's getting an IMSA drive, which is good for him. But good for him. I mean, it, it's. I still, I still blame him for that, and I think, you know, and I, it's probably wrong. It's probably wrong. I understand people probably hate me for for that, but at the same time, it's like he should have known. You don't go three wide. Tr- you don't try and make a turn in the tunnel turn at Pocono on lap two. You don't do that. Yeah. You don't do that. You got to be smarter. These guys need to be smarter. And you said that with the gentleman's agreement, they need to be more gentlemanly. Respect. They just flat need to be smarter because I think you're seeing situations where guys are just. Going balls to the wall, and there that's fine to an to a limit. When you do that responsibly, it's yeah. fine. Like Graham Rahal doing that late in the race is responsible. Yeah. Now, if Graham Rahal is doing that on lap five, I'm gonna call Graham Rahal out on that. But if he's doing this with 20 to go, 30 to go, I don't blame him. You At that point, I would expect him to. Now you can go for it. You to win to 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 finish or to win, you first must finish, you know. So yeah. if you 
if you don't get there, I mean, great. All right, let's go. Let's go home. And instead, Bourdais got two. Well, he's probably got one wrecked car, but Foyt had an expensive week weekend. None of their doing, and because of just people just stacking up on top of each other. And you think you're going to go? You're going. You're going. You're inching. You're 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 nudging that throttle, and then and then oh well, we all stack up, and then you have a car running a guy. I wasn't even so sure I was going to pin all that blame on Pietro because I mean, some people could say it was a rookie mistake, but I don't really think it was because Pietro has taken restarts before uh, when he was racing uh, on on short tracks, you know, on the East Coast. Uh, He's done it before. I mean, I think he was ready for it. It's just a matter of, like he said in the interview, they just got stacked up because guys weren't going. Guys up front weren't going when they were supposed to. Uh, you know, you can't you can't go, 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 and then lag back a little bit like Dixon did on the start. And that's – I, I kind of pin that on Dixon. I don't pin that on Pietro, and I think Bourdais should not have been upset with Pietro. He should have been upset with Dixon. Yeah. Um, if, if, you know, and I understand it's terrible to call out Dixon because he's literally a living legend. Um, if someone posted on Reddit today that he's like, won like, one like, race for every six like, starts like, that he's ran in IndyCar – yeah. Uh, which is an insane stat, but it, but he made a mistake on Sunday. He led them down way too slow, and he indirectly basically caused that accident. Um, and Pietro was just doing what he was supposed to do, uh, which was get up to speed and bunch up because he was starting at the rear of the field. He was just trying to get up to speed, and he ran into Bourdais, who was trying to check up and who was also running into speed, and then he had to check up, and then you know you don't have brake lights on these cars. How are you going to know what's going on in front of you? Um, but anyway, Pato Award was the big winner uh, in race two, which was a great win for him. Like I said, a great, great finish, great run to the finish. It was great. Like I said, it felt like an Indianapolis run where they were setting up their passes. It did seem like on Sunday it was more possible to pass than it was on Saturday. But again, that's not how Texas should be, man. Texas shouldn't be like that. And I think IndyCar did a good job with the aero package. I thought they were a lot closer. I thought the cars were a lot closer than they have been in years past. But at the same time, I just think, you know, something needs to be done with that track. I don't think it's IndyCar. IndyCar's done everything they can. The drivers have done everything they can. I think Texas has done everything they can within a budget. But the only thing that's going to fix it is repaving that whole track. And and that's unfortunate. I I agree. I agree. Um, It is a major problem. I think it was, I think it's been realized that this is, this is kind of a wake up call. For me, for me, this is the last point I'll make about the IndyCar race. But this is a wake-up call for the industry, and NASCAR included in this, that, okay, wait, if we abuse this PJ1, it will have permanent effects on the track that probably can only be fixed by a repave or yeah. whatever. Because they know now, this isn't coming off. We're not going to, until this gets fixed, and, 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 and again, we go back a few episodes ago, I talked about all the, the all the irons in the fire that Speedway Motorsports has. You know, you have Nashville, you you have uh, Coda now, you know, is that going to, where's that going to look? Um, Atlanta repave and, and, and remodel there is is imminent, all right? we that That is coming. That is that is the next. They could repave Atlanta all they want, but they better not banking. That's all I'll say. I agree. But don't, the, don't be like Texas and Kentucky. Don't ruin it like they did. I don't think they're going to do that. I think that I think they've learned the lesson on that. But I think you, when you look at the project that they have, Texas is down the line because they just invested all this money in it. So they've got it. They unfortunately, I don't think they're going to they're not going to lose NASCAR. But 
I'm I'm going to say this: if the All Star race ends up being the disaster that I think it'll be, because I really think what you're going to see is guys inside by snap PJ one, and just like Indy cars did, it's going to become ice. They're just going to slide up, and it it's there's nothing those cup cars can do. There's nothing the Indy cars can do. It's just down to the track, and it's it's very unfortunate. Um, so let's move on here to the NASCAR Cup Series race at Kansas. Um, it was a great, great race, actually. Uh, again, this as much as I hate this package, I have to admit it puts on some great races at Kansas. It has yeah. put on some memorable, memorable races at Kansas, and this was another one. Um, I, Gosh, I got to say, I didn't hate this race at all. I was enjoying it um, until the IndyCar race started. I, I watched it. I, I put it on. Um, uh, before the IndyCar race, and I watched the whole. I was watching the first two stages, and the first two stages were really good. And that's usually not something that I could say. I mean, there was a lot of passing. There was a lot of, you know, three, four cars, the top four cars under a blanket. Then they get into some traffic, and then they start swapping the lead, swapping positions in traffic. I mean, it was really, really good. It was good, classic, good old looking NASCAR there. Um, Kyle Lush, Larson and Kyle Busch, we said here, Kyle versus Kyle, it was them all day. They definitely had the best cars. And then sometimes it was really interesting to see both of them fall back a little bit, get back in the pack and then have to work their way up. It was, it was a really good NASCAR race. I mean, considering the fact that the IndyCar race was such a dud, I think comparatively the NASCAR race was outstanding. I mean, it's, and that's not something that I say every week. Usually I'm usually one of the negative ones when it comes to NASCAR uh, racing. I think, you know, usually the races are not nearly as good as they could be. But this one specifically, they have nailed down the package at mile and a half, like Kansas and like at um, what, what's uh, Las Vegas. Chicago um, land before we well, lost. I was going to say Chicago land, but we've lost it. I was even going to say Kentucky, too. I think they have the perfect. I think if they had not repaved Kentucky and ruined the turns like they had, this package on Kentucky would make some good racing. The package on Old Texas would make some good racing. Oh, yes. On Old Texas, it would be outstanding. Really unfortunate. I mean, I, I, this package should not be used on really anything but a mile and a half. That's the main, main, main point. Like, you, the only time you should see this, you should not be running this package at Dover. You should not be running this package, you know, at Loudoun. You should not be running this package at Michigan. But, you know. Michigan at, 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 at own thing, you know, at here, here at, at, at Kansas, this is a perfect package. You know, it produces some good race. We saw some great pit strategy. Even, um, I was very, very entertained overall by the entirety of the NASCAR race. Um, of course the, the restart, oh my gosh, the restarts were crazy, which of course NASCAR tried to do with this package. Um, and they have succeeded. They caused a lot of accidents, and they made the start feel like I was like, "Man, are we are we still at Talladega?" I remember first. I'm watching the first like five laps, and I'm thinking, "Man, are we still at Talladega? These guys are still side by side in a pack." That this was pretty good. The Las Vegas test that they had, where they were literally drafting in Las Vegas. Yeah, it's again like I said, they have this package down pat for a mile and a half, but it's not worth it anywhere else. Um, uh, but yeah, so. Like I said, great run to the finish. Even had two ob- double overtime. We had, I think, double overtime finish. Um, is that right? It was a double overtime or was it just a single overtime? Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Maybe I'm misremembering. I um, might be misremembering too. I Honestly, I was watching the IndyCar race during the finish of the NASCAR race. I was paying more attention to the IndyCar race than I was the NASCAR race. Um, that's on me. 
but I still saw the end. Kyle Busch ended up winning, and he won it in spectacular fashion. Yeah, hey, that by the way, Kyle Busch Actually, winning. It did not go into overtime. It did not go into <laughs> overtime. They got the race going with just regular two two to go. Okay, so, so it, then Fox was wrong because Fox had the ticker saying overtime. That bothers me then. No, according to Racing Reference. No, I believe Racing Reference. Yeah, I'm just saying it's the Fox ticker that I saw it clearly stated NASCAR overtime on the last restart. Okay, then. Well, and that's right. why I'm upset. That's why I thought it was an overtime because the, okay. the ticker said it was an overtime. I agree. I, I would be upset too. Yeah. It's not anyway, so Kyle Bush, Kyle Bush is, uh, sets a record as being undefeated on his birthday. He's never, never lost a cup race that was held on his birthday. He's now undefeated. And he ties Kale Yarbrough's record for two race wins on his birthday. Yeah. And this is a really important thing to Kyle because uh, I don't know if you guys heard, and this is more sad news. This is really sad yeah. news today, but Samantha lost another baby. Yeah. Um, they're just having fertility issues, and, and Kyle was, you could tell Kyle was upset about it. And a lot of people have kind of speculated that maybe Kyle is moving into a different point career in his life if you ever watch um he he has great youtube videos of of him helping braxton yes race yes and it's 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 almost like him this is the closest we'll ever get to the kyle bush school of racing is him teaching is what we are able to see him teach braxton because he he says things to braxton that i'd never even thought about like as a sim racer per se you know what i mean as someone who just is a is an armchair racer he says stuff i've never thought of before uh like how to approach certain tracks how to approach certain corners how to approach car you know things like that valuable information kyle bush very very smart um overall just a great uh cup series race so let's uh move on here to the weekend wrap-up uh the arkham and art series race at kansas that was actually not a terrible race but ty gibbs ended up winning it ty gibbs again continuing his dominance of the lower divisions every time he enters a race he's going to do well uh that's pretty much the fact of the matter um gotta love some ty gibbs Kids, kids destined for greatness. I'm telling you, if if his his record right now in racing tells us anything, he's destined for greatness. Um, and then the six hours of Spa, Frankershawn was this weekend. Hey, Motor Trend had this weird thing where they had the first hour or two hours on on at seven in the morning, and then when it started, and then they showed a bunch of car shows in the middle of it, and then showed like the last hour and a half. It was really weird. Motor Trend, I don't understand. But then they, I don't, I don't even know if you can watch it on the app. I don't know if you have to pay for Motor Trend on demand to watch the whole thing. I don't know. But anyway, Toyota Gazoo Racing won in the hypercar, and overall, uh, that was driven by Sebastian Blemmy, Kazuki Nakajima, and Brendan Hartley. Uh, good, so a, a good six hours of Spa, Frank or Sean over the weekend. Um, in case you were able to watch that, there was also other races, but uh, the Euro Formula Open started their season this week. Um, and then uh, you had uh, the Australian S5000 series down under wrapped up their uh, season. Joey Mawson, who actually raced in F3 previously, um, the last couple of years actually has been running over in Europe. He came back to down under where he was from and won the Australian S5000 championship. So good for him. Joey Mawson, he's the S5000 champion for 2021. Um, and then now moving on to the outstanding performance. Uh, Josh, you've got an outstanding performance you'd like to share. Yeah, I'm going to give mine to Haley Deegan. Um, she was running in the top 10. And if it weren't for the caution for Jennifer Joe Cobb's stalled truck, gosh, she's got enough heat already. I'm not, I'm not picking on her. I'm just stating a matter of fact that it was Jennifer Joe Cobb's stalled truck that brought out the caution. Um, she was going to get a top 10. I think she's running eighth or ninth at the time. Um, and she was spent a lot of time in the top 10, which is, 
somewhat new territory for her this year. She's had a rough go of it. She's back with the, the, the finishes that she's gotten in this Saturday, she finished uh 13th. Um, but she's back in this, the swarm. She's in the hornet's nest. If you're starting 13th ish back to 25th, you are in a danger zone in the truck series. And when you can't get out of that, you're going to get hit. You're going to be, you're going to have damage. You're going to have a rough day. And, you know, to see her run as well, I think it's good. You know, good steps, confidence booster. And that's what we need. You know, when you're moving your way up, you need confidence boosting. Now she feels like, okay, let's, let's do that again. Maybe the next time we go over top five, you know, we can shoot for that. And and she got a great guidance up on top of the spot. I understand with TJ major. So, um, this shout out to her. Good job. Um, you know, that's a good positive movement for her. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, Haley Deegan definitely. Uh, getting better with every race. Uh, my outstanding performance, though, is I think it's time we put some respect on Pato Award's name. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I f- I, not to say that any people have been disrespecting Pato Award, but I feel like him winning this weekend and getting his first IndyCar win is the first step for him really starting the era of Pato Award. Uh, I've watched Pato Award Ray run since he was in uh, Indy Pro 2000. At the time, it was Pro Mazda. Um, I've watched him run, watched him run that. I've watched him run Indy Lights. I've watched him run F2. I've watched him run Super Formula. He's impressed me in every single time he's gotten in there. Now, maybe he hasn't won a bunch of races, but in terms of overall pace compared to experience level, because usually you have, that's what I have to look at it, is what's his pace like relative to his experience level? And that's, you know, that's what bothers me when Lee Diffie gets on NBC and says, oh, he didn't do very well in the, in F2. And I'm like, Lee, okay, he replaced our Lord and Savior Mahavir Ragunathan, and first of all. And second of all, he was almost immediately up to pace, having never tested the car up until that point. Uh, he was all immediately on pace with his teammate Jordan King in Formula Two. Now, of course, he didn't set anyone. He didn't score points. He didn't, you know. But who cares? Neither did Jordan King. He was on pace with his teammate, which is all you can ask of a replacement driver. And he did that with no prior experience in the car. He'd never even tested the car. The first time he set foot in a Formula Two car was on day one of practice, and this was again on like what a week's notice. Pato Award very is good. Pato Award is good. He is very, very good. And this weekend's race at Texas showed that. He's not just good on road courses. He's good on ovals. He's a threat anywhere he goes. And the best – I love this. I mean, I found out he, – he, I didn't realize this. I guess I knew this subconsciously, but I now finding it out, it's still amazing to me. He's the first Mexican to win an IndyCar race since Adrian Fernandez in 2004. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. And I remember Adrian Fernandez. Adrian Fernandez was one of my favorite drivers growing up. I loved that car. I loved Fernandez. I was glad when he uh, stepped away from full-time IndyCar racing because uh, I loved Fernandez running full-time in 2004. That was really cool. And then he stepped away in 2005. I was like, where's Adrian? I miss him. Um, but I ended up watching him later when he was doing sports cars and stuff. Uh, Fernandez, great, great driver. Great, cool guy, too. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, that Pato Award's first Mexican driver since Fernandez to win. So that's really good. Great for Mexico because I think that they deserve an IndyCar race again. They used to have two when Champ Car ran there, and now yeah. they haven't had a single one in years. They do have a Formula One Grand Prix, which is great, but yeah. they have Pato now. You know, yes, they have Checo, they have Perez, which 
is probably more of a a draw than Pato Award. Honestly, I, if, if I was if I'm Mexican, I'm probably focused more on Perez than I am Pato, but I can't blame him for that. Um, in the same regard as I'm sure Canadian fans still cheer for Tr- Stroll and Latifi, no matter what. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you would. I mean, I would cheer for the people people here who probably cheered for Scott Speed, no matter how. Well, you tend to support was. the country of origin. You know, that's, right. that's that's yeah, that's just being you know taking pride. But I'm in saying you. like with if Pato becomes a major star, I think it's really time for IndyCar to look into going back to to race in Mexico. I think it's time. I think it's it's long overdue that IndyCar needs to be going to Mexico and Brazil because they have a lot of fans in both of those countries and drivers that are very popular from both of those countries and it's a shame that they don't go to either of them anymore yeah um anyway so Pato award he gets my outstanding performance uh moving on now it's time for the upshift and downshift qu- segment uh josh and i's favorite segment of the show if you're new to the show welcome our upshift downshift question is basically uh, a very basic hypothetical question where we're presented with josh and i uh decide whether or not we like it we upshift or we downshift if we don't like it and uh, that's how the game's played. You can join the conversation anytime you want using the hashtag Robin Roller. We'll tweet out all the questions. You can reply to it. You can hash- use the hashtag to reply to us. Doesn't matter however you want to do it. Um, let's start off here with the first one. McLaren CEO Zach Brown has called for a secret ballot voting to be implemented in all F1 commission meetings immediately. Do you upshift or downshift this uh, call, Josh? I do. I want to upshift. I'm going to upshift it. Um... I like his his reasoning is just to, so you don't have alliances, you know, like, okay, Ferrari voted this, I'm Haas, I have to vote for it, for it, you know. So I'm going to upshift. Um, secret ballots are good. Um, you don't know what hands are playing unless you go up and ask them or you have a meeting afterwards. Um, do what's best for you, not what is best for, you know, you know your, your, your allegiance, I guess, you know, because deals are being made and I, I, I just, I'm all for secret ballot. So definitely I upshift. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. I think of it like survivor, you know, you go into that confession cam, you cast your ballot secretly. Yeah. Nobody knows. True. That's what they should do. That <laughs> They should make it, they should social media the heck out of this too. Let's do it. That would be funny. Um, I'm going to upshift for that same reason. I mean, I, this is really, it's really a no brainer to me, especially given the reasons you stated. I think Formula One would benefit from that because you would see probably more rules opened up for the benefit of the teams rather than the benefit of Ferrari. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's what F1 desperately needs. Major teams, you know. You, well, no, you, I'm, I, I'm saying like for years, Ferrari has had like a true. bigger pull. In FIA meetings than any other team, and so that's kind of why I mean that. Like, I don't, you don't want Ferrari to have such a big pull. Everybody knows, okay, well, Ferrari, if Ferrari says this, well, if we don't do this, you know, we could get in trouble or we could have problems later. You know, I think it's better if everybody, if if stuff like that's kept anonymous. Um, how about this next one? Toyota has won all seven races to begin the 2021 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series season. What do you think about this, Josh? Do you upshift that, or do you do downshift that fact? Well, I have to. You have to downshift for parity, right? I mean, it's not very. It's not looking very good for Chevrolet or Ford, but also Ford just doesn't have. I enough. forget Ford even has trucks outside of Thor Sport. Yeah, they don't have Thor Sport anymore. David Gilman Racing. I mean, when you look at it, they have. They have. Shoot, they really, I keep forgetting that. Yeah, they have. They have the. They they really only have two full time Ford trucks that are 
competitive. I know uh, Roper runs fact. Fords, but you know, out it's going to be difficult to see a Ford in Victory Lane this year. Um, Chevrolet, you know, GMS kind of needs to get their act together. We don't know quite what's wrong with them this year. Uh, they just started off really slow, and Niche Motorsports obviously has been missing a step there. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is you have to downshift. Uh, you have to downshift. You know, even if you're a Toyota fan. Um, and, and, and you're going to support anything Toyota, it's not good to see just one manufacturer kind of run away with it like that. So uh, I'm going to downshift. Um, personally, I, I'm neutral on this. I don't care one way or the other. Um, I'm sad that the parody in the truck series is not, is not any better. But, you know, this is not, this is not something that's occupying much thought in my mind, to be honest with you. And I hate to say that because it's it, I don't want to put any disrespect on the question because it is a legitimate question. It's a very good point. I mean, very seldom do you see that much domination by one manufacturer this early in the season. But for me personally, it it doesn't. I don't really care one way or the other. I just think it's just it should motivate other manufacturers to step their game up because if Toyota is the only one that's really putting money into the truck series, like I think they are right now then if anything, it should just really be motivating Chevrolet and Ford to get more on board with the series if they're getting dominated that badly by Toyota. So that's why I don't really see it as that big of a deal, so I'm going to put it in a neutral. Um, That's just me. Uh, How about this? Going on to the next one here, third to last one, penultimate one. Is it time to pull the alarm on Bubba Wallace and 2311 racing? Oh, I... I'm neutral on this. It it's getting time where I think there needs to kind of be a a sit down and say, look, what we've done the first eleven races doesn't matter. We need to go out there and um, we just need to go out there and reset. Let's put let's put a good race together. Let's put a second good race together. Right now, they're not able to complete a race. I mean, they were running decent, and then he hits the wall. Um, and I think that's been that there's that's been kind of been a constant this year where. They've had a good run going, and something goes wrong. Whether it's Bubba's doing, the pit crew's doing, the car's doing, the field, you know, another competitor's doing, something has gone wrong. The good news is they're twenty first in points. I think it is where they're at, and they're not too far out of sixteenth. So that's good, you know. So it's not it's not like they're twenty eighth in points. If they were twenty eighth in points, I'm pulling the alarm. I'm pulling the alarm. Like okay, something needs to happen, but I'm not. I'm not so concerned yet. There's a lot of regular season left to go. A lot of things can happen. You get a couple ten top tens going together, and all of a sudden you find yourself 17th in points. So I'm neutral. Um, my humble opinion is I don't think it's time to pull the alarm at all. I think this is to be expected. They're going to have growing pains. There's nobody. If if anybody was expecting them to come out of the out of the woodworks and get top ten every weekend, then they were just sorely mistaken. Also, the fact of the matter is Mike Wheeler has been best crew chief that. That's great. That's great. Jerry Baxter. If they had Jerry Baxter right now, he'd have three, at least three top tens in a top yeah. five. I think a lot of the not you, you can't pin everything on Bubba because I think Bubba's doing the best that he can. Um, I think I'm pinning more of this on the team and the crew because I think the cars are fast. I think it's proven that the cars are fast. Yes. I think if there was practice or qualifying, I I have a very strong feeling that Bubba would probably be starting in the top ten or the top fifteen every week. I don't Maybe. think he would be any lower than that. Um, you know, we'll see what happens, uh, when we do have a qualifying session for once, how fast he, he, he lines up, but I'm not pulling the alarm at all. I said it over the weekend, you know, I think I'm not expecting them to, to, 
I, I, they're honestly matching or a little bit exceeding my expectations. I had my expectations for this team very low because I know how hard it is for brand new teams like that to get off the ground. It doesn't matter how much resources they have. I don't know how much they get from Toyota. I don't know how much they get from Joe Gibbs. They may get some. They may get none. It doesn't matter. But it really doesn't matter because it's a brand new team. You're going to have growing pains. You're not going to be dominant right out of the woodworks. You were seeing the same thing with track house racing. I did not expect Suarez to be doing as well as he is. He's doing much better. He's matching my and exceeding my expectations, much like Bubba is. It's just I'm not worried about these teams. If we get down the line and it's two, three years into their team's existence and they haven't made any, then I'm going to start pulling the alarm. But it's too early to be alarmed, period, about these teams. If they finish, I am I know the question was 23-11, but I throw a track house in there as well just because I think the, the situations are the same. But I think really and truthfully, as long as those guys can finish top 25 in points, I think that they've done everything that they needed to do, and then some, you know, because uh, that's all you can ask of them. Um, long, basically, the long, story, the, the, the long story short is if you could finish ahead of who you race on Sunday, that's what matters. That's what matters. Um, final question here. Michael Andretti told Racer Magazine, while he hopes Colton Herta drives for his team for many years to come, he wouldn't stand in Herta's way if, quote, a team like Ferrari called him. Do you upshift or downshift this call by Michael Andretti? I upshift because I think it's Michael Andretti looking at the bigger picture. Um, not that it's imperative that f1 have an american driver i think he knows that colton herta is extremely talented and is a great talent and that if you could get him in an f1 ride that was a competitive like a mercedes a red bull a ferrari a mclaren and even to an extent an alpine and he does well that's going to give a lot of rep points to indycar um, but I th- also think he knows too that it doesn't hurt to have an American in F1. I think that's maybe a kind of a secondary point, but I, I upshift at this because I think it's, again, this is Michael Andretti looking at the bigger picture. So, and I, and I like his candor and, and I like his honesty. Like, Hey, if he gets a call from Ferrari, I'm going to do it. But he didn't point out a team like, but if he gets a call from Haas, I'm going to say, no, I'm yeah, don't do that. He didn't point out a team specifically, but he did allude to that. So, um, yeah, I upshift. Well, my my take on this is honestly, Michael Andretti's been there. I mean, he got a call from McLaren, and he took that he took that call. And like I've always said, what did that tell us about Michael Andretti? It told us he's the greatest IndyCar driver in the whole wide world, but he's no Ayrton Senna. I mean, that's that's what it said, and that's not an insult to Michael Andretti. I mean, anybody you get paired with in Formula One is going to be tough to beat. I mean, if if Colton Herta gets a call from someone like Ferrari, and he's paired with someone like Charles Leclerc, good luck. <laughs> good luck, Colton. I don't care how good you are. Good luck. You're going to have the stiffest competition ever. If he goes to literally anywhere in maybe the top five F1 teams, I mean, he's probably going to have a, a, a rough time doing it. I respect Michael, the heck out of Michael, saying he's not going to stand in his way, but Michael Michael knows better. Michael knows what it's all about. And, for, and secondly, is that I don't think that F1 teams are looking at IndyCar to scout. 
And yeah. I'm being honest about that. I'm being straight up honest. They are not looking there. They are looking at F2. You want to know why they're looking at F2? Because budgets are so much bigger in F2. And people with big budgets usually get get that go to those rides. Colton Herter's budget, I cannot imagine, is as big as probably the top three in F, F2. I'll be honest. Now, Callum Milot's budget wasn't that big. I get it. But uh, Mick Schumacher's budget was pretty big, and Sonoda had Red Bull backing. Mazepin had a lot of money. Um, there's a lot of other drivers that had a lot of money that'll probably get picked before Col- Colton Herta. And that's just, I hate to be that guy, but that's just the reality of Formula One. That's just how it is. It's so expensive to race in Formula One. And unless you're bringing, you know, six-figure sponsors, <laughs> I just don't see it being a possibility. So, you know, I upshift Michael Andretti being all cool with it, but I just downshift that it'll happen. You know, I think we're... We're saying, Col- oh, Colton deserves a ride- Formula One ride. He deserves it. Yeah, well, yeah, he deserves it. But what are the odds of him actually getting it? What are the odds of Ferrari actually calling him? Very, very little. I don't care how Colton could go out there, win the 500, win the whole championship three times over. It's not going to change anything. Did Scott, does Scott Dixon get calls from Formula One teams? Probably not. Probably not. And he's one of the most accomplished IndyCar drivers of this generation. He has probably enough super license points. Uh, to, to get into a Formula One ride right off the bat, but nobody's going to call him because they're not looking there. He's, number one, too old, and uh, number two, it's, it's, it's not who they're looking for. They're not looking for someone like that. They're looking for the next big thing that can come out of Formula One that could bring a lot of money. So, you know, I mean, I appreciate Michael Andretti being so positive for Colton and everybody being all positive on him, but let's be honest, guys, if Joseph Newgarden and Alexander Rossi couldn't get Formula One rides, I don't think Col- Colton's going to get it either. And that's that's not me being negative. That's just me kind of stating the facts. So that's where I'm going with. Um, all right, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Josh, you're going to take us back to uh, one of my favorite years in IndyCar with your featured race, not featured race track. Remember, we've altered this. It's Roller's Featured Race. He's going to teach us about a race. Now, this race, and I'm going to preface this here real quick before you get into it. Uh, this race was uh, a very interesting race for me. So Now, my favorite event back when I was a kid was always the Texas race after Indy. I always look forward to that um, more than I probably look forward to Indy. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. It, it always felt like the after party. You know, yeah, you go to prom right. and prom's always fun, but then you really want to go to the after prom. The after prom is the fun part, right? You know, yeah. so like the 500 for me was always like prom. And then the Texas race was after prom where, you know, you go to the prom and you're like, it's all the the ceremony, it's all the pomp and circumstance, it's it's all big, it's indie, you know, you have to go to that, everybody loves it. But then the real parties when you go to Texas, and everybody's going three wide and two wide, and everybody's going crazy all over the track, and it's a, a all-out, full-throttle, balls-to-your-wall, you know, speed fest at 210 miles an hour, uh, and I loved it. I loved it then, and even though the racing isn't as good anymore, I still love it now. Um, but you're going to tell us about one of my favorite races. This, this was one of the more controversial ones. Cause I remember this one and still, and thinking when they announced it, I remember when they announced it too, I was thinking, man, what the heck is the point of this? And I, I was worried when they announced it earlier, I, when they announced it was Texas going to be a double header again, I was worried. I was like, don't do what they did in 2011. Don't do what they did in 2011. Uh, and they didn't, they didn't, this was a much better way. So Josh, tell us what all about what happened in the, uh, 2011 Firestone twin 125s at Texas motor speedway. Yeah, so I was actually going to do um, the 2001 kart race, but I oh, didn't. That's want to always that's that's a fun one to talk about, though. That has so much history into it, and it has 
the great you could find uh the 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 broadcast from that day is is outstanding it really gives you an idea but what i really want to find actually i wish you had talked about it now but what i'm still trying to find is footage of the indy lights race from from that weekend because i've always heard that the indy lights race at texas in 2001 that accompanied the cart race um was one of the most wild and probably the greatest feeder series race in the history of american open wheel racing even better than some of the freedom 100s we've had lately like i mean talk i'm talking that good like probably would have upstaged the eye the cart show had it gone on i I'm gonna to have to take your word on that. I don't know. I, I've never heard of that one. So it's I'll almost take... well. There's footage of the uh, Indy Lights race from Las Vegas, which is also kind of like lost media, lost footage because that race obviously never got aired for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um. But that race was basically a photo finish, and it was side by side, fantastic racing. Joseph Newgarden ended up winning it, I think, or uh, someone cut down Pippa Man's tire on the last lap, and she. She almost won it, and then New Garden ended up. Yeah, it's just crazy. But those there's some lost indie lights races that I wish we could find, and we have some footage of the Las Vegas race. But I we need to find footage of that Texas race. That's what we really need to find. Like somebody in the lost media wiki needs to try and find it. Well, as I said, I was going to do the cart race 2001, but Marshall Pruitt did a fabulous three part feature uh, on that race weekend on racer. And I just didn't want to double dip in that. So I do encourage you all go read those parts. Um, you're going to learn a lot. I learned a lot reading them. Fascinating insight. So do that. So as, as Rob said, though, I'm going to talk about instead the uh, 2011 Firestone twin two seventy fives. So in early August, 2010, this was announced that IndyCar and Texas Motor Speedway would run this double header modified doubleheader weekend. And it was really a throwback to the 1970s and eighties uh, where two races would be held on the same day. And it would be the first time that uh, IndyCar would do such things since Rick Mears won both races actually at Atlanta motor speedway on June 28th, 1981. Um, so these races would be 275 kilometers in length. There would be a halftime break um, to kind of celebrate the winner and then to exchange information with your crew, set up the cars again for race number two, um, but both race winners would be official IndyCar wins. So, uh, you know, in the record books, as you know, you go on racing reference, you can see that uh, there are two winners from that race weekend. Um, and each race would be 114 laps in length. That's where 275 kilometers kind of comes out to. So the starting lineup for the Saturday, uh, for the race, uh, the first race on Saturday was determined by Friday qualifications, which was won by Alex Tagliani in a Sam Schmidt Honda, followed by Dario Franchini, Will Power, Takuma Sato, and Ed Carpenter to just show the test of time to that four of those guys uh, uh, are, are technically, well, three of those guys are racing full time, but Tagliani, you never know he could come back and race. He still races some races, um, but Tagliani, um, excuse me, Dario Franchini led the first lap, Tagliani the second before Franchini led the third lap through the 48th lap, Scott Dixon, Elio Castro Nevis, uh, Vitor Mira each led a lap during the green flag pit stops before Frankini took the lead on a uh, uh, retook the lead on lap 54 and led to the end. There was only one caution on lap 90 lap 98 that lasted until lap 103 for a crash involving Wade Cunningham and Charlie Kimball. Fun fact about that. Uh, Wade Cunningham, that was what actually drove the car that Dan Weldon won at IMS and he wrecked it. And I yeah. remember because actually uh, Dan Weldon was on the commentary team at that time 
They was added. He had added to the versus commentary team, and the like disappointment and pain in his voice when he saw that car hit the wall was so visible. They've since obviously fixed it back up uh, yeah. for to, to to run, but it's crazy to think that that car won rate won Indianapolis one week prior, and then the very next week Cunningham puts it in the wall in his IndyCar debut. By the way, uh, because I remember Wade Cunningham was one of the best uh, Indy Lights driver or Indy Pro or whatever it was called at the time. One of the best drivers in that division for the longest time. And I always wondered why he never got an IndyCar shot. And then as soon as he got his IndyCar shot, I was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> that's why he never got an IndyCar shot. <laughs> anyway, you can go ahead and continue. I just wanted to share that fun fact. That's a good fun fact. It's a good fun fact. Hey, so um, as I said, Franchini won the race. He was followed by Scott Dixon and Will Power which is important because Power and Franchini had separated themselves from the rest of the competitors in the standings. Power entered race one with a 16-point lead over Franchini, but uh, but after race one, Franchini had cut that lead to seven. So this is where the controversy kind of came in. Um, starting positions for race number two would be determined by a blind draw. Uh, instead of a predetermined invert or a singular blind draw invert, you know, picking a hat, you know, okay, I, I'm the winner. I'm going to start. 16th that means second place is going to start 17th third place 18th and so on and so on for the fourth line or just in a complete invert that didn't happen um there was a wall brought out onto the front stretch that had a bunch of tires on it and the drivers walked up here like okay i'm going to push this one and behind the tire was a number um and whatever that number was is where you would start race number two so but here's the really big Stinger, you know, if not the blind luck was had anything else to do with it. Last place, Charlie Kimball picked first. Right, I remember that. Yeah, so Kimball picked picked first, um, and then Wade Cunningham and so up down up the order. So by the time that it came was to weird, Howard Cunningham first. drawing drawing so early too. It was it was just such a weird way to do it. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I remember even watching that. As what? How old? How old? How old would I have been? Sixteen. I was sixteen at that time, and even I thought that was stupid. I was like, "This is the dumbest way to decide the field." I mean, these cars are set up to run a certain way based on they how they qualify, and you can't touch them. They're impounded basically for this next race. They can't fix them until pretty much the first pit stop. So they can't make any wing adjustments. They can't retune the cars, basically. I mean, it was just the, the, the dumbest. I mean, I understand it made things crazy for a little bit, but it was just so dumb. I'm sorry. You can go ahead and continue. I just thought it was dumb back then. You're good. Um, so when it came to Will Power's turn to pick, um, there was only third, 18th, and 28th remaining. Uh, Power drew third. Then Dixon picked 28th. And that left Frankini with 28th. This obviously meant that one of the fastest cars at, at Texas that Saturday had a massive track position advantage over the uh, over the other in that in the upcoming race. You know that being power, especially when it's a championship contender, Frankini starting 28th. So you know, power actually wound up winning race number two, and Dixon finished second again. But Frankini only got the seventh. And there were no cautions. There was no time for Frankini to benefit from a bunched-up field. Uh, and now Power exited Texas with a 21-point lead over Frankini. So Will Power had this to say after the race. Quote, it was definitely unfair for Dario for him to start 28th 
and me third is unfair. It's as simple as that. Otherwise, it would be a fierce battle for the whole race. But to me, it was unfair. Splitting the race in half was fine, and the draw was fun for the fans, but it makes it that much tougher for a guy like Scott Dixon to come from 18th to 2nd. That's a heck of a drive, but for Dario, it's really unfair. Then Dario Franchini didn't hold back his comments either, so he said this, we should have never... We should have never been in that position to start with. To have a championship round and draw it out uh, of a hat was a joke. It is a joke. We drew 25 spots behind Will. It's no no fault to Will, but that is a massive handicap. Through no fault of our own, we gained 21 position, uh, places, but lost a massive amount of points. So again, remember, he, 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 he ended race one with a seven-point deficit. Now he's 21 back. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so then to continue what he said that made me mad I'm sitting there thinking I won the first race but my emotion right now is pissed off at the hand we were dealt tonight uh, then he had a quick whip this was Las Vegas not a championship race we might as well rolled the dice to see who won tonight Which I, I want to be- throw into that when he says Las Vegas it actually brings up a good point I really think the 2011 championship could have gone a whole up a whole bunch of different ways. First of all, it started here. It yes. started here where they basically kind of tried to screw Dario out of the championship. And then you basically had Dario and Will fighting the whole summer. And we never really got a full payoff. But it really makes me wonder. I feel like Dario ended he ended up winning the championship in the end. Um but at the same time I look at that and I think to myself, you know, there were so many other opportunities there at least two where we could have had a different outcome had the level, the playing field been fair or in the case of Las Vegas at the end had things gone a little bit better you know there were a lot of situations in there where Dario and Will just both got screwed that year because of IndyCar basically a bunch of gimmicks out of IndyCar and it, 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 it's it's tough to say but it's the truth Anyway, I'm, you go ahead and continue. I this is this this race is very and season is very fresh in my mind, so I have a lot of things I would want to add ahead of time, but I don't want to take away too much of your spotlight. You're good. Frank Kenny then added that he believed the field, all 30 cars, should have simply been inverted with himself starting last, Dixon 29th and Power 28th, then placing Kimball on the pole, Cunningham second. He understood at the time that while IndyCar and racing is a sport, it also it is also entertainment, and that it. You know, the draw did add pure entertainment, not a balance of with its sport. Uh, Frankini also believed that inverting the entire field would have been more entertaining. Obviously, he would have been right. He would have been right. And inverting that field, that was a 30 car field. Yeah. That was a 30 car field that entered that car, that, that race. You had basically some of, I, I just can't imagine what, what, what kind of race you would have had. You probably would have had a way better race than what you got. That second race running caution free. It was just not. It was not that good. Twenty ten was a better Texas race. I'll be honest with you, but I you would have gotten a way better show inverting the field. It would not have been safe. It would not have been safe because there was again going back twenty eleven and as I, I have to mention Vegas again. There's a lot of drivers that, that were out there that should not have been out there, and, and for unfortunately, Wade Cunningham is one of them. Um, there's a lot of drivers that were out there in not just in that Texas race, but in the Las Vegas race as well that shouldn't have been out there. And, you know, yes, inverting the field would have been more fair and more entertaining, but it probably would have been a lot more dangerous. So hindsight's twenty twenty. 
But I think at the time, Dariel's comments were correct. They might not have aged as well, but at the time, I think his comments were correct. I can't argue with you there. So to kind of cut some stuff out here, but, you know, Power, you know, was obviously, you know, very sympathetic to Ganassi. He, you know, even though he won, he understood, you know, how this could impact the championship without kind of directly saying that. You know, Danica Patrick, she expressed her frustration as well, you know, but she applauded IndyCar for trying something, even if it was a little gimmicky, um, because you got to get viewers. You got to have viewers to pay the bills and, um, you know, she's she's she was a fan of anything giddy, uh, to get people in the stands, but this probably wasn't the right way to and do Danica it. And should have had the right to have been the most mad because she finished second at Texas the previous year. So she was she was probably someone who had one of the better shots to make an upset with maybe in an inverted field. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, she never really got that opportunity. You know, if anyone, you know, Danica had the right to be upset there because, like I said, Texas was one of her better racetracks. Yeah, um, so uh, this race may have been a debacle, but it's often lost that this was Power's 12th career IndyCar victory that includes two wins in cart, but it was his first on an oval. Um, even if, it, you know, again, you lose that in the debacle that took place at halftime and how the second race played out. Rob, you, you mentioned Dario did eventually win this championship. Uh, he was declared the champion following the cancellation of the 2011 IZOD IndyCar World Championship race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway following the fatal crash of Dan Weldon. Um, as the series reverted back to the previous race results, which was the Kentucky Indy 300 at Kentucky Speedway, uh, Frankini left Kentucky that day with an 18-point lead over power. Frankini earned 13 points in his seventh-place finish in race number two at the Texas races. Uh, which he could have easily just walked away, you know, with only five points, which would have left him with a larger deficit here, you know. So how this this would kind of could have been a very large pivotal point. And Rob, you mentioned it earlier that um, had this race gone differently, and had other races gone differently, how do you how do you change your racing approach the next week in the following ra- in the following races? does Dario and his team make a different decision that costs them the championship? Let's say they wreck out on, on, on the first lap and they're left with only five points um, from that second Texas race. Um, you, you know, this isn't, you know, you know, NASCAR now, or, you know, even any car doesn't do this, but you know, you win and you're in. Okay. Now you get a points reset. No, no, this is, this is all year, all season long. And even one point could change how him and his strategist thought about, you know, the next month of races and, uh, you know, to have that, your fate of a championship come down to a blind draw. All right. Awesome. There's third, 18th and 28th left on the board. Will got third. We got 28th. We got a long way ahead of us. And Will doesn't have that much, doesn't have that much to do. I, I can't remember who started first and second that race, but I mean, Will, Will kind of walked away with that race. And, um, you know, obviously, it was just unfortunate for him that his the rest of his season didn't play out well when he didn't maintain that 21 lead. Well, you so, know, I said, I said this on Twitter too, and I still think this. That 2010 was the last great IndyCar classic season of the IRL era, and then 2011 was this weird changing era where, you know, we were pretty much phasing out the old guard. We had a new car on the way, and it was an entirely new era by 2012. It was a totally different series mm-hmm. than what, 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 what was there the previous year. Um, the car counts were lower. The drivers were different. There were some drivers that just 
never came back. Wade Cunningham's another one. He just never came Newman back. Newman never came back either. Newman Haas didn't. Yeah, that's right. Hinchcliffe was driving for them, but he got he took over Danica's ride, which was supposed to go to Weldon. Um, but you know everything changed after 2011, and 2011 was just this. And I don't blame Randy Bernard for it. I understand why he was trying stuff that was different, and he did he did a lot of good things. I still think him bringing IndyCar back to Pocono was one of the best things he could have done. Um, and and still should be the highlight of his uh, tenure as uh, CEO of IndyCar um, is bringing IndyCar back to Pocono and getting more ovals on the on the on the schedule, which is what fans clamored for for so long. What I still clamor for. Um, but but this was one of the races that I really felt like back back when I was watching this at the time I was I was so confused why they decided to decide it on a bland random draw like that it didn't make sense to me. And I echoed Dario's statements. I thought it was a farce uh, at the time. Um, looking back on it, I'm not going to go so far as to say it was a complete as much of a farce as I thought it was back then, mainly because nostalgia kicked in. But I just remember feeling very strongly about how they decided race two at that time. So thank you, Josh. I appreciate you bringing into that. It was a great, great little trip down memory lane for me and surely many other people. That's all we've got for this week's show. Uh, Josh and I have had a great time presenting this show to us, but it's time to look at what's in the windshield. We've got some racing coming up, and we're excited for it. I'm excited for it. IndyCar is off this week, but they'll return on May 15th for the GMR Grand Prix at Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. So that will be uh, next week um, in the 15th. But we got Formula E. Formula E is coming to Monaco. Uh, they're, again, full circuit uh, with the Mahavir Ragunathan uh, turn one. Um, and you know what I mean? You, you go watch Mahavir Ragunathan take turn one at, Mo- at Monaco. He, do, he does, yeah. this, he does exactly what formula E is going to do. Just ignore that. The, the, the ignore the whole, um, uh, curb that's there. Uh, yeah. They're going to take that oh, curb oh. out and make it a big sweeping right-hander. Just yeah. beautiful. Um, and that, so that'll be great. The rate, that race is going to be on May 8th. So look, we're looking forward to that. Hey, formula one is back. Uh, we're going to go from Portimao in uh, Portugal, uh, across the border, right right across, uh, to Spain um, for Barcelona. Um, for the Spanish Grand Prix, that'll be on Sunday, May 9th. The Formula 3 season opener will take place at Barcelona as well. Uh, remember, two races, uh, one in the early morning on Saturday, if you're on the, in, in, over here in the States, it'll be in the early morning Saturday, and then about 10.45 uh, a.m., the second race and then the third race will again be at like 4.30 or something in the morning, I think. Um, but then, hey, throwback weekend. Throwback weekend. Fox is taking this all out. Do you see – I don't know if you see it. Josh, I know you're not a wrestling fan, but they're going so far as to take throwback weekend into uh, wrestling. Friday Night SmackDown on Fox is going to be a throwback uh, throwback presentation, so that's going to be kind of cool. That's going to be cool. got to love that the trucks don't have a race on Fox for throwback weekends. Instead, we're getting throwback for wrestling. Great. Fox is contractually obligated to air Friday Night SmackDown. So yeah, that's a great deal. Let's oh, and let's be honest. I, I hate to be this, but SmackDown's probably going to get more viewers on Fox. It's going to get more TV. viewers, but you know, you're trying to build especially a, a throwback one. Everybody, everybody hates wrestling now, but nobody hated wrestling back then. You know what I mean? In eighties and nineties, nobody hated wrestling. <laughs> You, right. you, you you have Peacock. You have Peacock. I I I just want you to watch one episode of Raw from ninety eight 
or to through 2002, just one episode and tell me it's not the craziest stuff you've ever watched in your life. I'm sure it's the craziest stuff I've ever watched, but I'm not going to like it. I can, I That's can, fine. I can, I can tell you that right now. And you know what? I'm not going to dig on anyone else because if that's your thing, that's your thing. You know, I, I don't have a problem with you watching it. I can just know I'm not, I'm not going to enjoy it. It's good entertainment. Well, all of, all of Fox is doing a throwback weekend. So it's kind of cool that Fox is kind of incorporating all of their properties into this NASCAR thing. Uh, this this whole NASCAR this is really just a NASCAR thing. Only NASCAR is doing throwback, but they're being like, no, let's get everybody throwing back. You know, that, let's get the WWE, let's get Skip and Shannon, let's get Colin Cowherd, let's get everybody in. You know, that makes it a little special. I can't say I like that. I, I can't. You don't I, like that? I don't like that because I just uh, this. I, I don't like that. I think uh, it's great. I think it promotes the NASCAR product better. I, like I think it. it gets everybody excited for the NASCAR product. No, you're talking about other products at the same time. Why 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 can't Colin Cowherd and Skip Machine and just promotion. NASCAR throwback weekend? You're doing cross promotion. You're promoting the NASCAR throwback weekend along with your other program. You're making it a theme of the week. I guess. I I, I could see this. NBC did this. They had a throwback week. They th- showed old races. How is this any different? NBC, you talking about NBC? Yeah, when NBC, NBC always had when NBC had Throwback Weekend, they would do Throwback Week stuff. Yeah, but they didn't cross over all their other prod, uh properties though. What what other properties do they have? That's my point. <laughs> yeah, Fox you, can do this. You didn't have a Sunday Night Football Throwback with with all them up there. Well, you're not going to get Al Michaels and John Madden. I mean, I could pray that you will, but it's not going to happen. Well, still, John Madden won't fly and. Odds are he's just happy he'd retired. As much as I want to hear, boom, and Brett Favre could do it better. I, I don't know. Any, whatever. It's it's still Throwback Weekend, and that's what we're talking about because this show is almost over. Thanks for thanks for listening this this long, by the way. Um, so all three all three race series are going to be at Darlington Camping World Truck Series will be on Friday night on FS1, followed by the Xfinity Series on Saturday, uh, and then the Cup Series will be running the Goodyear 400 on Sunday. Uh, just just as Josh and I have done in 2019 and 2020, we will be selecting our top three throwback paint schemes on next week's show. So look forward to that. It won't be a worst. Well, we might do a worst because we we were talking before the show. There's some candidates for the worst throwback paint scheme this week this year. There are yeah. some candidates. So maybe maybe stay tuned to that. Maybe we'll have to talk about some bad paint schemes. But uh, thank you so much for listening to this week's show. We really appreciate it. We know we went long, but you guys love it. You guys don't complain about it, right? If you did, we'd hear a bunch of. Uh, a bunch of people on Twitter saying, make it shorter, make it shorter. Now, you guys love listening to us rant and ramble. Uh, so with that being said, my name is jo- Rob Peters. Uh, Josh Roller has been my co-host, and we have just had a great time talking to you this week. Uh, we hope you join in next time. So for Josh Roller, I'm Rob Peters. This has been the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Have a great week, everybody, and enjoy all of the racing that we are going to have this week. <laughs>